Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I am your one-star host, 10K Trevino. And as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Hurricane Martinez. Hurricane, how's it going? It's going well. I've committed no crime, sir. Are you, is that you're like that's like you're swearing to an oath on that? Yes. You every week say I'm your partner in crime. I have committed no crimes. I am innocent until proven guilty. <laughs> I haven't done that one in a while, so I wanted to just throw that one out there. But Gerard, you know, we said we didn't have a lot to talk about last week, and we went like nine hours. We hit our second three-hour podcast in the the history of our of our podcast, so that was quite impressive, quite an impressive feat. There's not a super ton, and I'm not trying to jinx ourselves. I'm just letting you know, but someone actually on the peristyle kind of factored in what USC's margin of victory is relative to how long of a podcast we do that week because we got a lot of backlash for not doing a podcast lead up to Utah, USC lost. So every week we've done one, they've won. So now it's just kind of figuring out where that sweet spot is for a good victory. And it's about about two hours, two, 220, right? That's what it looked like to me. Someone was proposing that for big games we have to go four hours, but I didn't see the logic in that. Now, there's I'm no, there's great. no, there's no proven correlation. I'm not great at the maths, but if we're going by chaos theory and we think this little butterfly is going to somehow impact the way USC plays each week, then I think two hours twenty minutes look like this week's spot to me. Great butterfly effect reference, Gerard. Now, like I said, we don't have a ton to talk about, but there is stuff to talk about. We have a potential, uh, there is a commitment on the horizon uh, for a local linebacker. We'll talk about that little 2024 target list. We did over, we went over the 2023 target list last uh, episode. So we got the 2024 that uh, Gerard recently put out. We got some coaching carousel stuff to look around, around college football. We have coaches on the road uh, during the bye week. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about some big week eight college football scores, maybe some Miami and Texas recruiting drama. We'll talk a little bit about that. As always, we have our Friday night schedule, and then we have you know a good portion of uh, listener questions. So there is some stuff to talk about on the docket. But before... I jump on all that. As always, you know I have to shout out the official sponsor of the Composite Two Star Recruits, Meredith Schlosser, real estate legend, real estate goat. She's one of the top real estate agents in Los Angeles with over $600 million in sales and more than 200 five-star Zillow reviews. And I told you guys last week that not only am I you know, a sponsor mechanism 
for Meredith and her team, but I'm also a client. Yes, Jeannie Bus is one of her clients. Also, 10K Trevino is one of the clients under the Meredith, Meredith Schlosser uh, team. Jeremy Hensley, shout out to Jeremy. I call him the house god because that is what he is. I officially signed for my house that I'm going to be jumping into uh, very, very soon. So, again, I could not have done it without Meredith and Jeremy and their team. And they were just so awesome and great. And I cannot recommend them enough. That's not me as a sponsor. That's just me as a human being who have worked with these people and have seen the results that they can put forth. So Meredith is backed by a full service team that allows her to service a wide range of clientele for rentals, sales, and purchases. She has extensive experience with first-time home buyers and sellers. Meredith was recognized by Wall Street Journal recently within the top 1.5% of agents in the nation. That's the nation, not the West Coast, not California. That's the nation. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com. That is S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. And you can follow her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. And we're going to have a special little, uh, we're going to hear from Meredith in a little bit later in this episode, a little special treat, but we'll get to that later. Right now, Gerard, we got to dive into this cold open. And we haven't had one of these in a while, but that's previewing a commitment. And the commitment we're talking about is three-star San Diego linebacker, David Peavy. Now, this has been someone that USC fans have been familiar with for since the summer, you know, a guy who was officially visited during that golden hour, that big official visit trip, uh, three-star linebacker out of Lincoln, uh, San Diego, six foot four, 230 pounds, number 47 linebacker in the 24 seven sports rankings, number 67 linebacker in the 24 seven sports composite. He'll be deciding on Thursday at his high school around 5 30 PM. He'll be deciding between USC, Washington, and Oregon. And those are kind of been the leaders or the, that group, that lead pack for PV since the summer. You know, Oregon has sort of had that initial lead. You know, USC came in, Washington came in. They all made him, you know, think about it a little bit harder. And it's been an ongoing saga, but that is expected to come to an end on Thursday. It'll be a Pac-12 showdown between those three programs. And it's kind of been hard to get kind of a read on David PV's recruitment in general. Is he a take? Is he not a take? We know USC still has been kicking around some linebackers. I think they want more linebacker depth to go in there with Tackett Curtis and then, you know, Braylon Shelby, kind of an edge player, but could drop back, play, play off the ball linebacker. But I still think they're looking for more linebacker help. They made that offer to Arian Carter. So they're still in the market for a linebacker. David Peavy, Gerard, do we think he kind of fits this mold of what they're looking for? Yeah, because he seems to be, first and foremost, an edge rusher. He's one that plays at the line of scrimmage, and he makes the majority of his plays at the line of scrimmage. Actually plays more at the line of scrimmage than Braylon Shelby, who is a little bigger and definitely has a, a, a bit more length to him. But with PV, he's a guy that really everything is on the line of scrimmage, does a really good job. Sealing the edge, um, he's very good against the run, first and foremost. 6'4", 230, 235 pounds. Uh, again, similar to Braylon Shelby. And the interesting thing coming away from the summer, because both of those linebacker edge rushers were at the Golden Hour, they were there on that official visit together, is it looked like at that point in time, USC was going after both. Now, certainly you felt like with Braylon Shelby taking that official visit to Texas the next week, 
that perhaps Texas was going to end up getting him. And, you know, that was my vibe was, okay, he came away from the weekend, had a really good weekend, says USC is his leader. He told you that specifically, but you know, the homeschool Texas has got the last visit. You kind of think to yourself, all right, this is going to be tough for USC to pull off, but he ends up committing to USC later. And at that point, we heard less about PV with USC. It seemed like USC had some momentum, but the vibe from his visit, whether it was coming from his camp or coming from sources close to USC, was very quiet. There really wasn't a whole lot about, you know, did USC build up a lot of momentum? We knew USC and Oregon were the two schools really vying for his commitment at that point. But because there was no real feel like USC was the lead school coming away from his visit, and you knew that Oregon still had a visit, that perhaps Oregon was going to be able to close the deal later down the line. As we get closer to the season, uh, it seemed like Oregon was building more momentum. And then we get to September, we talked to him uh, when he was playing against Bishop Alamany up here in uh, Southern California. He basically said that it was Oregon kind of his favorite, you know, sort of reading between the lines with Washington gaining ground. And then at that point, he visits Washington. I think it was September 17th was his official visit there. And it seemed like Washington made up a lot of ground. And then it became, okay, Washington, Oregon, Washington, Oregon. There was some talk. Maybe Oregon's trying to slow play him. Washington was making up a lot of ground. And then obviously with the season, Washington is now uh, lost a ton of momentum on the field. You know, they look great as September. They look like the best team in the Pac-12 in September. Now they look like they're middle of the pack and sort of where they were projected to be. And now it's become, again, it seems like an Oregon-USC battle. And Greg Biggins talked to him just uh, earlier in the week. And his vibe is that, you know, USC might be the lead school at this point. Uh, we haven't seen a crystal ball yet, but he seems to think that USC has the momentum. This has definitely been an interesting one. It's been a bit odd. As you said, though, USC, I think kind of getting in the later part of September, you could see they were hunting for another linebacker. Arian Carter uh, is still on the board, but it looks like USC's probably not going to get an official visit from him. Um, there's a couple other names that are floating around out there, but David Peavy had been there all along and we know that USC really, so what they got to see from him this year, I haven't seen his senior film, you know, obviously that's going to dictate, you know, how much uh, you want a player if he starts to fall off, if he maybe doesn't follow up a really good uh, junior season with a good senior season that can come into play. Uh, but at this point in time, you know, Greg seems to think that USC is the lead school for him, or at least that's the vibe that we're getting um, coming away from that conversation. So, yeah, uh, he's going to commit this week. And so it's going to be, um, you know, we're going to find out really soon. We are going to find out very soon. And as you mentioned, there is a crystal ball in Oregon. That that one's from a long time ago. That is put in by Greg Biggins. Based on your conversations, could we see a crystal ball change within the next 24 hours, 48 hours? Absolutely possible. You know, maybe in the course of this podcast, Greg makes a flip over to USC. We don't know. We'll see. This one has a little bit of shrouded mystery with it, but it's definitely going to be one that USC fans are going to want to keep an eye on as we move towards the end of the week. That is USC. You know, Oregon is coming off a big, big win over UCLA. They have a lot of momentum on the field, and we're going to get into that game later after our break. But this does seem to be shaping up to be a Trojans versus duck battle usc could use another linebacker as we mentioned and this one would be a big 
boost for that Brian Odom class that he is building alongside Mr. Tackett Curtis. Now, Gerard, before we move on, anything else you want to add here about Mr. David Peavy? Well, well, yeah, I think that we have to kind of look at the depth chart and Mm -hmm. sort of where USC is and and, and where they're going at the defensive end, rush end positions. Uh, We've seen the – you know, the, the Russian position sort of early in the season, we wanted to know, did USC have that edge rusher to go along with Tuli Tui Polotu? Did they have that guy that could really compliment him, whether it was complimenting him on the other side of the defensive line, because sometimes uh, Tui Polotu plays at the edge, he plays that five technique, or if he's playing inside, you know, could it be a combo where you've got your best pass rusher on the interior and then you've got a good rush in Solomon Bird, early in the season kind of seemed to be that guy, right? He sort of came out of nowhere. Um, he had some injuries and what have you. And Solomon Bird kind of looked like the guy uh, with Romel Height going down uh, at that Ed Rush position. Now um, you kind of transition and we've seen Nick Figueroa step up again. And Nick Figueroa has always sort of been there as, as a kind of sneaky good player for USC. You know, he's been a guy that's been very disruptive in the off- offensive backfield. He had a really good year last season. Uh, for USC just quietly because that was a really bad defense that they played. You know, you're not really necessarily looking for who stood out on a bad defense, but but he did statistically have a very good year and he's shown some flashes again this year. So, you know, we're kind of looking and looking, but those two guys are seniors. So even though you've seen some split in terms of who's going to be that guy that steps up, well, the guy that steps up is only going to be stepping up probably this year. We haven't really seen a whole lot from Corey Foreman yet. Um, again, Romello Height has been injured. He's out for the season. And this is something uh, that uh, – sorry, I don't mean to jump you there, but this is something that Lincoln specifically talked about today after practice about moving Nick there because he mentioned that that position, they need production out of that position. That's a key position on their defense. And you can kind of tell it was like, you know, that's a key position, but we're, we haven't really gotten that consistent production. Obviously losing Romello Height, who wasn't healthy going into the season there, was a big deal and they're just trying to get something out of that which is which you know if you're a freshman you're hearing that you're looking at like hey I could come in right away and play that position and play that spot because they're they're really struggling to get consistent production there Nick Figueroa has kind of taken over for Solomon Bird who as you mentioned was hot early but they're just trying to get some sort of like consistent pulse out of that rush end spot in general. And so I just, sorry, didn't mean to jump you there, but that's something that Lincoln did specifically mention today after practice. No, that's, that's great info. And I think to follow it up, you know, Romello height probably comes back next year. Mm -hmm. I certainly hasn't done enough this season to get drafted. He looked like a guy that was going to be a guy, but you know, that shoulder injury is an issue and that shoulder injury could be an issue going forward. Uh, You know, Corey Foreman and he's willing to go through that process and stay at USC and develop into the guy that everybody hopes that he is the number one recruit in the nation in his class, a five-star. But yeah, there's definitely not just trying to find consistency this year. It's looking forward to next year and knowing that no, not only are you going to lose Tuli Tui Polotu. Okay. That's pretty much a a guarantee at this point. He's played himself into the first round, but you're going to lose um, your two most productive guys in Solomon Bird and Nick Figueroa next year because they're seniors. And so, uh, yeah, you have Corey Foreman coming back, but he hasn't really shown a whole lot in terms of production. And Romello Height is, is just a name at right now, you know, a good looking guy uh, in, a, in a uniform, but not necessarily someone who has a lot of production be, uh, to his name. So 
yeah, that's going to be a position where, uh, you know, you've got Braylon Shelby. And listen, if I could see Braylon Shelby in person and, and felt comfortable having seen him a couple times like I did Drake London, I might be pounding the table right now for him to be a five-star guy. On film, he's that good. On film, he really looks like a difference maker. And just, you know, the physicality that he, he brings to the table along with the instincts and that ability to play in space, uh, which a, a guy that big, you just don't see a lot of those players that can back off the line of scrimmage and play the RPO game as well as, as Braylon Shelby does. So certainly he could be in the mix next year. I, I do think he's going to contribute, whether he's able to play as a true freshman or not. You know, that kind of remains to be seen. you got to see those guys on campus to see how they acclimate to the speed of the game game and what have you but I do think that yeah getting another big body a talented player a guy that's productive at that rush end position is pretty key for USC I mean they definitely like I said coming out of the summer it seemed like they were pretty satisfied with where they were um, Trey Wilson was another guy that they recruited pretty hard that they looked like they had locked up uh, he ends up committing to Baylor looks like he's going to stick with Baylor and so yeah David Peavy maybe you know some of that some of the other dominoes the way they fell David Peavy comes right back into USC's lap and uh, would be another big get for USC over Oregon. You know, USC, we've always talked about coming into the season, how Oregon has sort of had USC's number recruiting linemen and, and really recruiting a bunch of different players. But this would be, I don't know how many in a row that Oregon is one of the finalists that USC would end up coming away with the win. So that's always a good thing uh, when you're recruiting against your regional rivals and being able to first and foremost, keep your talent at home. And that's something that USC also has to do as a part of this rebuild is they've got to put up that wall around Southern California. And that includes San Diego. If let's say Oregon wins this head to head on Thursday, should we just like pencil in that we expect USC to maybe kick around some, some new 2023 linebacker offers? Potentially, but you also have to remember that there is the portal and there is that potential True. of getting another Romelo height. Um, there have been a couple positions which USC has been ultra successful at being able to go in the portal. One's running back. They've been extremely successful getting running backs out of the portal, and they've been extremely successful getting safeties out of the portal. Those are the two top positions. Those are the two positions where USC's really been able to get good players. They've been pretty good with the receiver position as well, but I think that's more of Lincoln Riley coming over um, and, you know, his offense being very attractive. But the other position they've done pretty well at is is defensive end. Um, those defensive end players, you get Romello Height, you get Solomon Bird. Uh, they were able to get Nick Figueroa out of junior college earlier. So they've had some decent, you know, results going into the porthole, grabbing some guys that are those sort of Russian linebacker types. Um, it's going to be interesting to also see how those positions evolve because, you know, one guy that we talked about over the off season, just watching him and we haven't seen him at all this year and he's very raw and he's definitely a player that you're trying to build up in your program, but it's going to be interesting when they uh, unveil Devin Tompkins and what he looks like when he's at the other end of this red shirt, you know, is he going to be a guy that puts his hand on the ground ends up being a defensive tackle, defensive end um, that you play inside. I mean, he's six, five, probably two sixty, two sixty five. He's far from the 230 pound, 225 pound uh, defensive end that uh, USC recruited out of Stockton. So he's a guy that's put on a lot of weight. He's one of those West coast type defensive linemen. 
that, that comes out of high school and you're thinking of him as a defensive end and as a guy that could be a hybrid guy. And then the next thing you know, you know, between his freshman and sophomore year, he puts on 30, 40 pounds. And then he becomes a guy that's actually a very good interior defensive lineman. So that's another player. There are players like Colin Mobley, um, you know, that are, are in that mix that are defensive linemen or I should say came to USC as defensive ends and then they've progressed to being defensive linemen. You know, there's sort of what one thing that I don't like that we've done, and I think this is an industry thing. And it, I know with 24-7 sports, they tend to follow the NFL draft and how they do things with rankings. But one thing that we've done over the past few years as we've crammed together three positions under the edge rush position, right? So for rankings and positions, what used to be strong side defensive end, weak side defensive end, and even outside linebackers, all now under this umbrella position of edge. And mm-hmm. it's kind of hard. It really blurs the line as to who's going where and who looks like what. I mean, you know, some of these guys are going to be strong side defensive ends. They're going to be five techniques. Some of these guys are going to be actual weak side defensive ends. The guys who you put at seven technique the guys that have a little more pass rush ability and skill. And then yet there's those other guys that could be Sam linebackers that are really more linebackers. They're in that 6'3", 215, 220 pound range, guys that you don't want to have at the line of scrimmage every snap because they're just not big enough to, to, to go head to head with those big offensive tackles. So it's really the edge position nowadays is just like three different positions in one. And so when you're trying to see the numbers and like who – is coming in for who and and what your need really is, um, it sort of gets, uh, it muddies the water because we're just talking about edge rushers. And some of these guys are very different than the others. You know, I mean, a a guy like Mateo Ngulele is different than Braylon Shelby, who might Mm -hmm. be different than, you know, Arian Carter or somebody like that. So yeah, we have to sort of get into the specifics, but you know, that's why you listen to the podcast. That's why you read uh, uscfootball.com because we can break that down for you. Gerard, you need your own rankings, the hurricane rankings that I come out I, every two years. I did do I did something kind of like that. And I can't remember if it was just for players at USC was recruiting or players that were just in the state or what have you. Um, but, you know, it's a little bit of a slap in the face to the guys that actually do the rankings uh, for us to do our own rankings. You know, it's one of those things that, hey, listen. Rankings don't really, I said this last week, rankings don't really mean a whole lot when you're trying to rank different positions against each other. Because just like the NFL draft, one team may covet one player because they have a great need at a certain position. And you're not going after just the best player available on the board. You're going after the player that you feel brings the most to your team because you have a need at that particular position. And then you have the other teams like the Raiders who just go after who are the best players and it doesn't matter what their needs are. So it's not necessarily a ranking of sorts and the rankings for 24 seven sports, when you're talking about high school football players are sort of like that, you know, it's more important to me when you start to break down within the position, how these players are ranked, because then you're going trait for trait, attribute for attribute, and that's more important to know who's better, who has the better physicality, who who ranks better because of what they can do. But you also have to keep in mind that each system may get more out of one player than the next. So you may have a guy that's ranked number three at outside linebacker, or in this case, we just rank linebackers, linebackers. Again, that's sort of how we've done things. I think that's a reflection of the NFL draft. 
I don't like it, but that's the way it is. But you may have a guy that's ranked number three as a linebacker, and then you have a guy that's ranked number 10 as a linebacker. But for a particular system, the number three ranked linebacker may just not fit. It just may, he just may not physically be a good fit for that defense. So, you know, that changes the ranking necessarily in terms of you're not ranking in a vacuum. You, you have to consider the schools and the fit for those players. So uh, that's something that you always have to keep in mind as well when you're looking at these players. And again, that becomes an issue of need. You know, do you need that particular player who fits that particular position, which may be unique to that defense? Thank you for that philosophical breakdown of high school recruiting rankings, Gerard. And you're making my job easy right now because we've talked a lot about edge rushers, linebackers, defensive linemen. I think that's a really good and easy segue into our next topic, which is, you know, talking a little bit about five-star St. John Bosco defensive end, Mateo, help me out. Ungulale. Ungulale. You should almost have that on your soundboard. You yeah, just- I, I was just thinking about that. I really need to, after after we're done, I'll just have you record it, and then I'll just uh, take it like that, and then I'll just plug it in. So I won't even, I'll never have to ask you for it again. It's just right there. Uh, but we did, not we, not us, Jarrett, Jarrett Five Star Perez, went back out to St. John Bosco to check out a five-star prospect in Mateo. Got some more ISO video of him. We talked about it. Last week, how we're waiting maybe to get some more video before we put that up. Well, we put that up. Uh, two games worth of footage from Mr. Mateo. And, you know, USC was kind of cooled on, not cooled on him. He was kind of cooled on USC a little bit. How State seemed to be, you know, moving up. But it seems like the Trojans have come back strong. And it's kind of more of a neck and neck battle or at least more even than it was several months ago. So recruiting is heating up. Once again, for the five-star edge rusher and uh, Gerard, take it away. <laughs> you just talked yourself into a dead end there. Uh, I, I really did. I, I really lost myself <laughs> there. Yeah, USC, we, we talked a little bit about this the past couple of weeks, has been reeling him in, I think, with the season that they're having and, and being able to show on the field you know, what that position would look like if he was playing it that position being Tuli, Tuli Pelotus and being able to move outside and inside and having that impact, very similar type of player at the high school level. I think watching the ISO film, and again, it's another week, it's more isolation film that we put up that the fans look at and they go, uh, uh, where, where are the highlights? You know, they want to see the interceptions. They want to see sacks. They want to see, you know, these crazy good games, and sometimes it just doesn't happen. And we had a few clips from him against Jay Sarah. St. John Bosco totally dominated Jay Sarah, a team that uh, only lost to modern day by a touchdown. St. John Bosco beat them 31-0, and then they followed up this past weekend with a 48-7 to victory uh, versus Orange Lutheran. So dominating both those teams. Um, We've seen Mateo also this year against modern day. And that was probably one of his better games. And I would say that it does seem like the competition level brings out a little more in him. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of question as to, you know, how impactful is he for a guy that's a five-star player? Is he dominating at that level the way that a five-star player should? And and this is a question that has come up even within St. John Bosco. 
this is not a question that, you know, college football fans are just asking. There have been questions about that. But I think at the beginning of the year and in some of the bigger games that they played against, um, that's where Mateo Ungalale has played his best. And so I would say, yeah, he has. Is he statistically a monster is he a guy that, um, you know, throughout his high school, high school career, has he had any of those really ridiculous years? No, not really. 41 tackles, 6.5 tackles for losses, and three and a half sacks this season. So kind of similar to the stats he had last year. I think he had about half as many um, tackles. So you're talking about a good player that plays on a good team and a guy that rotates. He does not play every snap for St. Right. John Bosco. He comes in and he comes out. So he's, you know, splitting some time and he's obviously splitting a lot of plays with a very talented roster. Uh, but I think from the standpoint of potential and the standpoint of just the body and what he brings to the defensive line. And that's where USC has been focused on recruiting him. So people have brought up, you know, maybe he's still a better tight end. He probably was more of a tight end early in his career. And that was where his focus was, but I think he's transitioned, um, over the past, you know, 12 months to becoming a defensive lineman in college. And, and certainly I think that's where the, the interest is from the colleges that are recruiting him. And certainly, as I said before, Sean Nua has, has been his lead recruiter. And that doesn't necessarily mean that he's a defensive lineman in USC's eyes. Sean Nua has recruited, uh, you know, Alani Noah and uh, um, Amos Talalele for USC who are both offensive linemen. But he has conveyed and, and they have talked many times and it's clear that USC wants him as a defensive lineman. And so I think that is ultimately his best position right now. And it, it's going to be his best position in college once he fills out and once he sort of fits in and, at one position and he's playing, you know, down in and down out. I think that, um, you know, isolation film, I, I have to say once again, and, and this is even for the filthy casuals, because these always go up free. We always put our videos up free at uscfootball.com. These are not highlights. I mean, even though it's a, a, a culmination of two different games, it's not just picking out the best plays. I mean, it's also picking up plays where maybe he didn't give great effort, or maybe he did great give great effort, but he didn't actually make the tackle. There's little small things from an evaluator standpoint that you look at when you watch these films, how is he playing away from the ball? Um, there's going to be little clips in there that maybe he doesn't do a whole lot. You know, we could put just five clips together, which trust me, I, I've seen that go up on the network where people have uh, put a video and it's like, you know, 40 seconds of video. It's like, okay, well, yeah, that's three catches. That's fantastic. The attention span wanna, isn't there, Gerard. We want to give you a little more than that. We really want to give you what happened in this game, you know, and, and whether it's a spectacular play or not a spectacular play, you get a sense for how that player maneuvers and, and moves on the field. So that's a big deal. And it's interesting because this same week, uh, just over the weekend, somebody put up some quote unquote highlights of Nicholas Harbor, the five-star athlete out of uh, Washington, DC that USC is recruiting the big time track star ran a 10 2 uh, over the spring at six, five, 235 pounds. And it was, mo it was entirely him on offense. And it was mostly just sort of some like, flashes of him kind of catching the ball but mostly just running the ball after he caught the ball and I looked at it and you know with all due respect to, to the editor and to the producer of the video I just felt like from an evaluation standpoint I got nothing from it I looked at it and I said okay 
He's twice as big as everybody he's playing against. We're not really getting to see him catch the ball. We're not getting to see the route he ran. We're not getting to see how he got off the line of scrimmage. We're getting these weird sort of different angles on him running the football after the catch. And he's clearly, we know he's bigger and faster than everybody he's going to play against. That's not what you want to see from an evaluation standpoint. What you want to see is his bend. What you want to see is his agility. What you want to see is, is he a natural pass catcher? Because that's the biggest question with him on offense. He could be a spectacular player if he can catch the ball naturally and he's not going to fight the ball. But some guys just don't catch the ball naturally. They're not natural receivers. They don't run routes very well. They don't have very good bend. They don't have very good agility. I mean, 10 to 8, he's a great athlete, but that's different sport than football. And so I think it takes a little bit more football to be a good receiver or tight end, wherever he plays, than putting him at the outside as a rush end and having him just go after the quarterback. You know, and just use your speed, just use your length, and just try to get after the quarterback. I think you probably have more success from a raw athlete standpoint and somebody that's not necessarily a good football player putting him in a position like that than putting him as a hybrid type receiver and expecting him to to be a threat for you. You know, just because he's fast and he can run down the field, I mean, so what? You know, you, you can bracket that. You put a safety over the top. He's not going to be a factor if he can't catch the ball. So that's really what I want to see from him. And that's one of those things that, you know, isolation film, maybe he only had three catches, but you're going to probably still get a good two to three minutes of film just watching him even not catch the ball, just to see routes, just to see him in pregame, just to see how he interacts with his players. That's what isolation film is about. It's not about highlights. It's not about, oh, hey, he caught a bunch of touchdowns. Sometimes we get that. You know, sometimes you get a pick six from Christian Pearson. It's like, hey, that's a great play, and and it's fantastic, and you get to see um, the excitement around those plays. But it's really more about the evaluation of how those players move and seeing the th- things that you don't get to see on Center, the things you don't get to see as highlights, um, to sort of, you know, away from the football and that sort of stuff, which is, you know, just important. You know, it's just important uh, for a football team and how they're going to play and whether those guys are leaders, uh, you know, how they how they interact with those players around them. Do they make the players around them better? Are they taking on double teams uh, if it's a defensive lineman and allowing somebody else to make that tackle? These are all very important things when you're talking about evaluations. I think a good example of this sort of the spectrum of ISO footage is two ISO footage videos I put up back-to-back weeks, which one is USC O-line commit Amos Talalele, who, you know, he's playing against lower competition. He's a big dude, biggest guy on the field. Every play you got of him is exciting. Every play you got of him is him bowling over somebody or putting them into the ground as uh, offensive tackle or running down the field and knock, knocking somebody five feet in the air. That is one end of the spectrum where you have basically every play feels like a highlight. And then maybe you have uh, a guy like Jacoby Lane, who I went out to San Diego to film and they had a tough time, you know, really getting him the ball. I believe he only had like three catches in that game. Most of them were in the first half, but, you know, got to see him move around, got to see him, you know, break down the field, got to see him do some blocking, got to see him play a little bit of cornerback, even though they weren't really throwing on him, but just got to see him move out there. So not a lot of highlights, not a lot of catches, no freak show one-handed, you know, fade touchdown balls thrown to him, but just got to see him move, got to see him interact, got to see him, you know, throw some blocks, stuff like that, and be physical. Cause I think going into it 
we talked about his, you know, him may, maybe being a blocker. But what I got from it from watching him was like, hey, this guy's pretty physical. There are multiple times where he was putting his his head down looking for the contact. So that was a takeaway that I got from watching him play. And I hope a takeaway someone got from watching my video. And like we said, Mateo's video, that is up and you can watch that. And all our ISO footage from uh, this season so far is up on the usfootball.com uh, Inside Troy YouTube channel. So you can go check those out at your leisure. Gerard, anything else you want to say about Mateo or ISO footage before we move on? No, I think that transitioned us into the 2024 USC target list and some of the players that we have ISO filmed <laughs> for that. Um, probably going to be a very interesting cycle coming away for 2023. And so USC already got a bunch of scholarship offers out there. Uh, they've got a few commitments, obviously, and uh, they actually had a decommitment, which we talked about last week. Last week. And there's a lot, you know, 2024 feels like that that class has been, you know, it's obviously bubbling a little bit. Their their time, their clock will officially start here in a couple months. USC is trying to get a head start on that. There have been a couple of 2024 offers that have gone out during the bye week, some offers in Texas, one on the DMV side. So, you know, still adding to that board as it takes shape as USC will be trimming that down, figuring out who their top guys are for the spring. Uh of next year and then that summer we'll have official visit and so on and the cycle repeats itself Gerard, the cycle repeats itself but you know there's some takeaways from your 2024 target list so why don't you start us off on the offense yeah the first thing and this is where you look at every true recruiting cycle is actually two years you know sometimes we talk mm-hmm. about the 2023 recruiting cycle the 2024 recruiting cycle but from the perspective of college coaches as I've always known it, talking to them, is they really look at this from a player personnel standpoint as a two-year window. And certainly this is going to be interesting at the quarterback position because you have Caleb Williams there. He's got another year before he's up to the NFL. You've got Malachi Nelson, and he's coming in for 2023. Unless something crazy happens and he decommits, he's going to be the guy for 2023, and he's going to be next man up. For Caleb Williams, different type of player than Caleb Williams, uh, not quite the runner at Caleb Williams, but a lot of people would say he might be a better decision maker. He might be a little better in terms of the ball that he throws, uh, how catchable it is. He has all the different types of trajectories. He can dish the ball a lot. Very smart player. Um, Definitely a, a different personality than Caleb Williams. But you transition over to 2024. And we talked about this before because USC, you know, at first, the first offer they gave, the first move they made in that direction of quarterback was Dylan Riola. And Dylan Riola looked like he was going to be the guy that they would go after, number one quarterback in that class, and he would commit to USC. Crystal Ball. Crystal Ball was in. USC felt very confident with that and told him, you're our number one guy. You're the only quarterback we're going to recruit in this class. Dylan Riola, subsequently visited Ohio State. He obviously didn't feel the same about USC and commits to Ohio State. So we go through that position. Interesting because Dylan Riola is a pro-style quarterback. So we are inching our way away from Caleb Williams, from Jalen Hurts, from um, you know Kyler Murray and the players that Lincoln Riley has used at the quarterback position to be so successful. Now, 
I know I've talked about this before, but I'm going to continue to talk about this because I think it's a very, very impactful point to make, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And so we we're going down the line, looking at different quarterbacks in the 2024 class. And, you know, at this point, second man up is DJ Lagway. DJ Lagway has been reported as going to unofficially visit USC for the Notre Dame weekend. Uh, DJ Lagway was the second quarterback in that class that USC had offered, and he fits what quarterbacks have prototypically been successful in Lincoln Riley's offense. He's that type of quarterback, very athletic. Um, high cut, uh, has a has a gun form arm, um, yeah. certainly not as polished as Malachi Nelson or probably even Caleb Williams to that extent, uh, but a guy that definitely has his best football ahead of him. And so, you know, USC has been fighting to kind of remain relevant, I think, with DJ Lagway. Baylor has been there as the hometown favorite. Florida came up as a school that he really liked. Um, Texas A&M was also in there, but I think just because of – how successful they were recruiting that 2022 class. Everybody felt like, okay, yeah, they're going to circle wagons and they're definitely going to be involved with DJ Lagway. But looking at the way the season has played out this year, certainly <laughs> Baylor has not had a great year. Texas A&M has had another not great year. I mean, this is not like they played really well last year and then they're you know, not playing well this year. They didn't play well last year either. They won that game against Alabama and that was pretty much their season and, and they recruited a lot out of that. They have not had a good year this year. And Florida's been okay. You know, Florida's been a little up and down. Um, obviously, they're trying to rebuild something there with Billy Napier. But this has given USC a chance to sort of get their foot in the door. And, again, demonstrating a, a very, very successful se- season and a very successful offense, uh, statistically showcasing all your stars. You've seen Caleb Williams have some really great games. You know, you've seen his mobility and how important that is to Lincoln Riley's offense. You Look at that offense, and you see it with a quarterback that is not as mobile. If you look at it with a quarterback that's like Keaton Slovis, I mean, there's going to be a ton of negative plays there. And we know, you know, the offensive line has played better, and they played very well in some games, but there's been some plays where Caleb Williams has had to scramble, and he's had to move and use his legs to be able to make some, some, some plays and give himself some time to get downfield to make those plays. So. That's very interesting seeing the quarterbacks are looking at. They're also looking at Elijah Brown. They're recruiting him harder than they have been in the past. That was sort of a later offer for Elijah Brown. You know, Oregon, Alabama, some other schools have come in uh, previous to USC. Uh, USC technically offered him a scholarship uh, the previous season under Dante Williams, but he wasn't re-offered until just recently by USC where the new staff is engaged with him and now started recruiting him fully. He's a little more of a pocket quarterback uh, passer as well. So this is interesting to see how much headway can they make with DJ Lagway? Can they really make a push 6'2", 225, like I said, a big body, big arm, and the most mobile of the quarterbacks that they've offered. But it's very intriguing and interesting to see where Lincoln Riley's head is with recruiting quarterbacks. And the fact that he's given quite a few offers to quarterbacks that are not super mobile. It's just, just one of those things that, you know, is there a little ego involved? Like, Hey, you know what? I can do it with any kind of quarterback. And I mean, we've seen that with, with past 
uh, offensive minds where, you know, they, they, they sort of want to dabble and do more, you know, is this something that kind of looking forward to potentially, you know, coaching in the NFL and I have a guy that's not a mobile guy and mobile quarterbacks in the NFL certainly do not work as well as they do in college football. Um, it's just a matter of the defense having so much more time to be able to scheme against the offense. They just don't work as well. And so you have one of those things where you're, you know, you're going to have to maybe go with the pocket passer in the NFL. And listen, I'm not, you know, writing uh, off you know, Lincoln Riley to leave USC anytime soon, but let's not be naive. If he's ultra successful at USC, the NFL is going to come calmly. And if Pete Carroll can leave USC, someone who had been fired twice by NFL franchises, uh, someone who people in the NFL said is really more of a college coach and he should stay in college. Um, you know, if somebody comes along and says, hey, man, we're, you, you can make choices. You can be uh, the, the personnel director and, and have control over who we're drafting and who, who we sign in free agency. And they give him that total freedom. You know, Lincoln Riley is potentially going to leave as well. So, you know, maybe there's a little bit of that in the back of his head, kind of looking at various different quarterbacks. I've said in the past, I think it's a good thing to have different style of quarterbacks on your roster because it certainly can help your defense you know whether it be from a scout team standpoint or even just you know your defense um preparing um through the season if you're going to see various different quarterbacks in various different systems it's great to have that in your back pocket as a team to to be able to uh, have those guys practice kids but i think there's more to it than that and it's interesting just to see that evolution of you know does lincoln riley sort of want to go away from what has worked, you know, does he want to sort of go out there and feel like, Hey, you know what? I can use a pocket quarterback that gets his ball, uh, that gets the ball out of his hands sooner. And this offense could be even more prolific. It's hard to imagine that, but you know, nevertheless, maybe that's what's going on. So lagway is sort of status quo. Lagway is more of what we've seen from Lincoln Riley's offenses going back to Oklahoma, you know, Elijah Brown, Dylan Riola, some of these other quarterbacks are kind of going away from that. Miller Moss would be, in that category as well, going kind of away from what, uh, you know, has worked for Lincoln Riley, which, you know, for Miller Moss, that side of, that's a good sign that, that Lincoln Riley is out there offering high school quarterbacks that are not necessarily super mobile guys. You know, that gives uh, him a chance perhaps, you know, in the future that he's going to actually have a, a potential spot in Lincoln Riley's offense that Lincoln Riley is not just myopically looking at, okay, this is the type of quarterback that I've won Heisman trophies with. This is the type of quarterback that have gotten me to the college football playoffs. This is the type of quarterback that I recruit. This is, this is the mold. This is it. This is all I'm, I'm, I'm recruiting. That's not been the way that Lincoln Riley has approached that. Uh, certainly with the 2024 class, uh, there's been some, you know, other quarterbacks as well, uh, more with the 2022 class when he came along and they recruited Devin Brown and they wanted to try to keep Devin Brown as a part of uh, the, the class. So that's interesting, you know, coming out of the gates with the 2024 target list. Uh, if Lagway visits and USC is really able to make a big impression on him, um, it'd just be interesting because, again, you're buttoning up that against uh, Malachi Nelson, who's another big-time quarterback, five-star guy. You have to do this. This is what you have to do. The days where USC fans rationalize losing players because, oh, well, we got this guy in the previous class. That is BS. You cannot do that as a top football program. If you are going to compete against Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, even Notre Dame, who got to the college football playoff, you've got to stack certain positions. And those positions where you're going to have interests from top players year in and year out because of your offense or your statistics or whatever you do, maybe it's just the inherent recruiting advantages, you have to do it. So 
They they really need to go after and get a top 2024 quarterback. This is not a stopgap for them. I would say with the 2024 class, and you may disagree with me, that's fine. I feel like the offensive linemen in this class are going to be sort of like the headlining theme or key point for 2024. But quarterback is up there. And seeing you uh, Lincoln Riley like go fully in to recruit his first kind of QB at USC because 2023, you know, Malachi Nelson already committed to Oklahoma. SoCal native. That was just easy, like easy flip. Just like happened like that. Wasn't wasn't really any drama in in the 2023 QB cycle for USC, you know, outside of a little Texas and Texas A&M flirtation or what have you. But 2024 is going to be a real fun one to watch in terms of USC locking down a quarterback for that 2024 class. I still think the offensive line cycle for that for for 2024 is going to be the headlining thing of of that class but tw- uh quarterback is, is certainly up there as they try to find the right fit for that class yeah offensive and defensive lines are going to be at the head of the class when it comes to conversation when it comes to 10 of troy the buzz is always going to be around who are we getting on the offensive line who are we getting on the defensive line because trojan fans know that the skill positions particularly in california If you're playing well at USC and you're winning the Pac-12, you're going to have your pick of the litter for the most part. You know, you may miss on a few guys here and there, but you're going to get the quarterbacks locally if you want them. You're going to get the receivers, et cetera. It's about, you know, are we getting the offensive linemen and can we we dominate up front? Because, you know, that's what we're going to have to do if we're playing in the Big Ten. That's what we're going to have to do if we see SEC teams in the college football playoffs. That's the missing factor. That's the factor that's going to be the most difficult to be able to be consistent at if you're USC. So for sure. And modern day offensive tackle DeAndre Carter, just in the last update, moved up to being the number one interior offensive lineman in the nation. So, you know, we had um, uh, Asandre Afua, who is a five star from Seattle, Washington, who was the number one player. I believe he was ranked at one time the number one offensive lineman in that class. Mm-hmm. He's dropped down to being the number two guard now, 6'5, 330 pounds, as opposed to DeAndre Carter, 6'4, 340 pounds. Now, Carter plays left tackle for modern day, but definitely projects as an inside lineman uh, at the college level. And, and Brandon Baker, who was just up at Oregon last weekend, Oregon still probably the team to beat for him. Uh, 6'5", pounds, plays right tackle for modern day, and a guy that I think is probably a right tackle in college, potentially maybe he even moves down is also a guard. It's going to be a question of who are the offensive tackles, and that's always the question. That's always the question on the recruiting trail, and, and that doesn't really – it's not exclusive to USC. There's a lot of offensive linemen out there, and getting true left tackles is – much more difficult than people realize. You just think some guy is 6'5", and he's 310 pounds. He must be an offensive tackle. It really depended upon the footwork, the balance, um, the wingspan. There's a little more that goes into it. So there's there's far less real true offensive tackles out there, especially for a passing offense, because when you got to have guys back on their heels who are, are going to take a pass rush a, a bunch of times a game, um, then you are definitely going to need a guy that is good at it. And you can't just put big bodies out there um, like you would if you had more of a run-oriented offense. And certainly, again, this is where these things are all connected. You know, the offensive tackles, the offensive linemen that USC recruit and how that's connected to the quarterback position, 
you got to have better offensive tackles if you're going to have pocket quarterbacks. you got to mm-hmm. have a pocket if you've got a pro-style pocket quarterback that's not very mobile. You know, that's where with USC, their lack of recruiting good offensive linemen, it really hurt them because they were coupling it with a pretty mobile quarterbacks. <laughs> you know, you got a guy like J.D. Daniels or Keaton Slovis. Uh, those guys are not super mobile. And that means you're putting a lot more pressure on your offensive line, particularly when you're passing the ball as much as USC was. I mean, they were one dimensional on top of it. I mean, that's just that's that's three strikes. You're out, basically. You know, you're, you're coupling bad offensive line recruiting with uh, a quarterback that's not very mobile uh, and, and with an offense that is completely one dimensional. So the defense is just pinning their ears back. So you can just imagine uh, how things went south for USC's offense. It, it wasn't hard to to see how that was all basically crumbling in on top of itself so um, that's always going to be I think with USC trying to be elite the questions are always going to be you know who are they recruiting on the offensive line what do they look like on the offensive line I still think that uh, USC is the lead school for DeAndre Carter Um, we're going to see how it plays out for Brandon uh, Baker that's going to be a real battle head-to-head with Oregon it looks like Um, looking at some of the other positions uh, that are not so linked together. Jason Brown's trending down for USC. It looks like USC's kind of faded a little bit for him. We're not really sure if that's because of you know how hard uh, they're recruiting him or maybe they've prior- prioritized other players. Uh, there's not really one running back that's jumping off the target list right now for 2024 at running back for USC. So, you know, they're get- taking two guys in this class and they, they seem to be both very solid players. Uh, they definitely need to take, you know, one or two in the next class. We'll see what happens with the portal. Again, running back has been a position where they've been pretty damn successful getting talented players. So maybe they dip into the the portal as well, seeing that you're going to lose uh, maybe both of those starting running backs, um, Austin Jones, and uh, for sure you're going to lose uh, Mr. Uh, Travis Dye. But uh, so Jason Brown, who was ranked, I believe, as an athlete, uh, a five-star athlete yeah. at one point is now a, a four-star uh, running back training down. Jason, a very interesting, intriguing prospect who there was some talk like maybe he was re- going to reclassify for the 2023 class. Uh, it's a 6'3", 6'4", 190-pound wide receiver slash quarterback slash defensive back for Sarah High School. I think that they haven't heard much about reclassification lately. Uh, I, I think the feeling with us is that if he was going to reclassify, he probably wouldn't be going to USC. Um, I think USC still kind of trying to figure out what position, you know, they want to recruit him at. And, and the vibe talking to him is that USC initially really wanted him more as a defensive back. And I think he wants to play receiver. Yeah. So the fact that that hasn't been completely sorted out yet on USC's board, at least that's the vibe that we get. I just don't know if, he's a guy that they would take in this class. Um, that's sort of up in the air. And, you know, that that's a question that, you know, ultimately might come down to December and sort of where they are with the portal window and, and who's available. Because, again, you know, they've recruited well at the receiver position. Uh, what transfers do you have out? And then looking at, you know, what you have uh, already committed, which you've got Makai Lemon, you've got uh, Zach Branch, both Kobe Lane. Smaller, receivers right but they're but the but with lemon and branch you have a certain type of receiver we talked about this last week how 
you know, USC sort of using Jordan Addison a little bit in the, in the, in the off the backfield and in the run game, man, you could see that become a very, uh, you know, a wrinkle that's no longer a wrinkle, but just part of Lincoln Riley's offense going forward when you've got Zach Branch and you've got Makai Lemon, because both those players are much better open field runners than Jordan Addison. And, and they're, they're very explosive just in terms of speed. So you have that angle and then you have uh, Jacoby Lane, who's more of the, the bigger wide receiver, a guy that if you're going to use Jason Mitchell as a receiver is probably more in line with, with uh, Jacoby Lane, more of a split end type. Um, so, you know, that's going to be interesting. Uh, I think that's still up in the air for Jason Mitchell. I really haven't heard much lately about his reclassification. I think it's uh, more in favor that he ends up at USC if he's a part of the 2024 class right now speaking right now so we'll see how that plays out but that's how it goes right now and he he isn't really getting the opportunity to play wide receiver this season because Sarah's offense has struggled with quarterback play and I will say the he as as we mentioned uh earlier in this season of podcast that Jason Mitchell started out as like the quarterback for Sarah splitting with a young young sophomore didn't look good. The The whole office did not look good. It was very janky. And it last time I saw them, it was a lot smoother. The, the sophomore kid who has been given the reins sort of fully has been has looked a lot better than when I first saw him. He looks a lot more confident. Looks like he's the game has slowed down for him. Still has those moments, but it looks competent now. It looks like they're getting some sort of footing. But Jason Mitchell still isn't consistently playing wide receiver for them. He's mainly been playing this sort of big kind of safety hybrid linebacker uh, deal. So not even really playing wide receiver this season. So, and that seems to be where his heart is at, but with that, we can kind of transition to defensive side for target lists. And there's some, some, some big names out there. You know, we talked about Dylan Williams last, last episode still up there as terms of priority. TA Cunningham will be the guy to watch on 2024 when it comes to, you know, getting better in the trenches over there at Losal, teammates of Makai Lemon and Malachi Nelson, and lots of defensive backs to choose from in 2024. Yeah, I think just, you know, the points here to underline are Dylan Williams is still going to be a, a target for USC. They're still going to go after him just because he decommitted. It's not one of those things that's, you know, USC's butthurt and it feels like, oh, you know, we don't want him anyways. No, there's none of that going on behind the scenes. There's no, well, we're not sure. No. They, they want him. Um, the decommitment came out of the field, and uh, they're going to continue to recruit him, try to get him back a part of the class. So um, just note that. T.A. Cunningham, another isolation film guy that the fans didn't necessarily like, you know, playing in his first two games. That was one of the reasons why we didn't just go with the first game that he played. We wanted to get just a little more where he was, uh, you know, kind of getting his his feet under him, you know, having set out five games. And so uh, a big body, you know, has he been as dominant as people thought he was going to be out of the gates? No, but again, he's still kind of in a transition period and, and coming away from a kind of crazy off season where, uh, you know, he's moving all the way across country and a lot of his living situation has been in question. So uh, still a, a very big body and, and someone that you don't necessarily see, a lot of on the West coast. And I think USC still pushing hard. Um, I know, you know, he was rocking some USC gear 
ended up taking two unofficial visits to USC for the last two home games, which is a very good sign. I think he was rocking some Tennessee gloves um, in the last game. Michigan but, gloves. Uh, Michigan gloves? Okay. Michigan. Michigan gloves. He, had the, he had the Michigan gloves, and I believe he's going to Texas A&M this weekend. There you go. So, yeah, he'll play the field and, and he'll enjoy his recruitment. But, um, you know, as long as he's in Southern California, that gives USC a bit of an advantage recruiting him. It's always a lot easier to recruit somebody locally than it is to go across over to Georgia. And, you know, all the kind of things that are going to go on that you're not going to be necessarily privy to, you know, because you're not going to have an ear in the conversation. You're going to have an ear in the conversation when he's going to a school where you've got two other USC commitments and uh, you've clearly got a little more influence. Uh, at Los Alamitos. So I think um, we'll see how that plays out. But, you know, one of the top uh, recruits still for USC in that class, the defensive back position, as you said, it's another position, which pretty loaded, you know, for USC locally, you know, I think over the last couple years, you've had some decent classes, but I think 2024 and 2025 locally, uh, USC doesn't have to really go very far. You know, you've got Bosco and you've got modern day, particularly modern day, they've got, you know, a handful of scholarship offers in the next two classes uh, for USC. So, you know, Marcellus Williams, obviously he's got his brother Max there at USC. He's got to be top of the board, cornerback for St. John Bosco. Sabian Brown, top cornerback from modern day, six foot, 180. Um, he's a guy that you feel, because, uh, you know, I asked you about this. I had not talked to him recently. Um, Shotgun, I think, talked, spoke to him. And you spoke to him uh, just, uh, I think it was the Milani game after that game. You felt like USC, high interest there. You know, when we define high interest from medium interest from low interest, high interest is their top three. Uh, medium interest is that USC is a school that could potentially get an official visit or, you know, top five, six. And low is when you're not in that conversation. So you felt like Xavier Brown, high interest in USC? Yeah, definitely, you know, just talking to him and, you know, USC was one of the schools that was on him early when when schools could talk to juniors that, that at midnight they were they were first one of the first teams on him. He's been to multiple games and, and just talking to him, you know, he's rocking the USC gloves. And I know some people think the gloves don't matter, but they matter a little bit. But just to just to go with the swag he he had, but just you know, listening to him talk and you know, picking up on the body language and stuff like that, you, you can definitely tell like USC is, I would say, firmly in his top unofficial 10 list of schools which he will cut down at some point but usc is doing what they need to do to to entice zabian brown to you know give them a very good look and does it also doesn't hurt that he's at a pipeline school like modern day and being so local he's going to go to plenty of games camps recruiting events at usc over the next you know year or so yeah and they rave about zabian brown at modern day. I mean, they've got a very, very talented young secondary. Like I said, almost all those starters have a USC scholarship offer yeah. and Xavier Brown is, um, you know, at the top of the list, it seems uh, for that 2024 class, according to, you know, the modern day coaches. So they rave about him. Another guy that's interesting. That's on the list is Desmond Ricks, who is going to reclassify. We talked about Jason. He's Michael off the list. He's jumping lists. He's jumping lists. He announced that uh, same week we put up the uh, target list, but um, doesn't really seem like USC is going to have much to say in his recruitment unless they're able to sneak in uh, an official visit for like Notre Dame weekend or something. I mean, I, I know 
schools have to be kind of scrambling right now, but right. probably the schools that are at the head of the list, like LSU and, and maybe some of the local schools, they probably had a heads up about this more than we did on the West coast. Um, Desmond Ricks, you, you talked to him uh, over the summer and he's not related to. He is not. Elias. He is not. And he is a Virginia boy. Just want that on record. He transferred to the powerful IMG like everyone does. They transfer there. And yeah, this is one where I look at it like this is one where USC needed time. Time would have been favorable to them to to have more time to build that relationship with Dante Williams, Lincoln Riley. You know, he said he he likes Lincoln Riley a lot when they did take it a, a visit out there on the West Coast. But they just don't have the time to kind of catch up with these closer programs, SEC, pro, SEC programs have gotten to do with Desmond Rick. So unless, you know, USC pulls off like a miracle of getting him on official visit, like you said, to kind of, you know, get at least in the game for him. I, I just don't see that happening. They they needed more time to to showcase himself nationally and 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 recruit him over the spring and get him back on get him back on the West Coast. For, for summer or spring or whatever. So, but yeah, the, him reclassifying is not a good thing for USC and, and their hopes of recruiting him. But I'm sure Dante is going to do his best to try to try to make it happen in some way. Yeah, not um, – I mean, we have him with medium interest because USC was in the conversation for an official visit. I don't know that they're not in the conversation for an official visit now, but like I said – Definitely scrambling a bit. I, I think the reclassification doesn't necessarily help USC with Jason Mitchell or Desmond Ricks for that standpoint. Um, but in terms of time, I guess the last guy to talk about from the defensive back position uh, for USC, at least at cornerback, would be Dakota Fields because mm-hmm. that's a player that I think Oregon had a, a pretty good lead uh, coming out of the summer. And USC, when they got – well, I should say this, going into the summer. I think going into the summer because we talked to him at the Sarah uh, – spring showcase and it seemed like Oregon was like the team to beat for him for sure locked on to Oregon like in a trance yeah and and he went to the spring game in Oregon and he was vibing with uh, Demetrius Martin the former USC coach Mount Sad coach who's now at Oregon uh and it seemed like Oregon was for sure the team to beat he didn't say that he didn't say Oregon was my number one school but reading between the lines in terms of who was recruiting the hardest, who had he had the best relationship with, et cetera, et cetera. Fields definitely was all about Oregon at that point in time. But going over the summer and we get into the, the, the stages of June and we have the elite camp and he goes down there and he was one of the top players that we saw at the Trojan elite camp. I think he was at the last elite camp. And that was when he sort of, uh, you could see things changed up a little bit for him. He got to be around Dante Williams. He got to be around the coaching staff. He was on campus. And he got much better vibe and a lot more comfortable with USC. And I think uh, since then, he's been at some games and, and been on some unofficial visits for games. And I think USC has done well. It's still certainly a battle right now. It's an Oregon-USC battle, in my opinion. There could be some other schools that get involved with him um, as well as time goes on. But I think uh, USC has definitely um, gotten to a better position for him. And he's a very intriguing player as well as a defensive back. 6'3", 175 pounds. Uh, he's ranked number 11 nationally uh, for, for 24-7 sports as a cornerback. But he is one of those guys sort of like Malachi Crawford that legitimately plays cornerback at that position with that height. You know, there's some guys that are just playing that position for whatever reason. Uh, maybe it's just, you know, what their high school coaches want. 
but he's one of those guys that plays that position and plays it well, uh, being that tall. So I think, you know, that's a good, a decent option for USC right now in terms of a guy that, you know, they have a, a good shot at and probably, you know, the last guy that's, that's a, a highly rated player to mention is, is Peyton Woodyard as a safety, 6'2", 195 pound, um, number two safety in the nation from St. John Bosco, a guy that a lot of people thought, oh, you know what, maybe he commits during the season. I think Peyton Woodyard likes a lot of schools, and I think he has a high opinion of schools. I think USC, Ohio State are the two schools at the top of the list. A lot of people sort of interjected Notre Dame there. Talking to him, I never got that vibe that Notre Dame was like really, really high on the list. I think he likes Notre Dame. Notre Dame is certainly academically very good. But I think Ohio State and USC have always sort of been the special schools to him. And I think USC has done uh, a good job as they can do to sort of reel him in and, and become the lead school for him. And so, you know, I've, I've, I've heard a lot of back and forth. You know, some people feel like Ohio State is still maybe the lead school uh, for those guys. Um, you know, you've got the, the, the two 2024 top players at Bosco that USC's after, Kingston uh, Veleamu. Who Asa is the other linebacker, the 6'3", 225 linebacker uh, from St. John Bosco. I think he's ranked like number two in the nation right now as a linebacker. So he's a big time player for USC coming away from a knee injury. Uh, both those players, I think people have sort of felt like Ohio State was the favorite. But I think this season and the product on the field has definitely put USC right there. I think with Woodyard, I, I'd... I'd almost feel like they lead right now for Woodyard. Actually, you know, another guy that we have to mention from St. John Bosco in the 2024 class kind of goes, um, you know, overlooked because he's committed to Ole Miss, but Jordan Lockhart. You know, Jordan Lockhart, 6'3", 230-pound inside linebacker from St. John Bosco, uh, ranked the number 25th linebacker in the nation, is another guy that I know is very high on USC as well. So, you know, uh, he's committed to Ole Miss. Um, you've got Ohio State as the main competitor right now for uh, both Kingston and Peyton. But like I said, I think uh, USC's done a, a really good job with Peyton Woodyard. And um, I, I'd venture to say they're, they're either tied or, or maybe even have a lead right now on Ohio State for him. Massive, massive and talented class out there for Bosco in 2024. And it's going to be a critical one for USC to at least get several of those guys on campus consistently and you know, hopefully for them, lock them up for that that cycle. And just another name I wanted to throw out there for the for the target list is Tylen Singleton, the the Maney, Louisiana teammate of uh, Tackett Curtis, USC linebacker commit. Wait, 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 wait! I gotta I gotta interrupt you here. I gotta interrupt you, Chris. Didn't we determine that it's Manny? Manny, you're right. I I it's it slipped. I'm sorry. You're. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'm gonna put myself in the penalty box. And I'm going to mute myself for 30 seconds. Okay, I'm just joking. I'm not going to mute myself for 30 seconds. But I just wanted to throw his name out there. Someone to watch. You know, obviously, there's a lot of good local talent. But USC is always looking nationally. And Tylen Singleton is, you know, a top 50 prospect, top five safety prospect in the country, number one in the state of Louisiana. They have a very good connection with Tackett Curtis, you know, heading to USC. So I, I definitely think that we're going to hear a lot more about Mr. Tylen Singleton. Just want to throw that out there. Noted. Very noted. 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 Uh, with that, Gerard, are you ready to move on? I am. Actually, one more thing. Adris okay. Farouk is another player that's going to be out here uh, possibly for homecoming. He's part of that St. Francis Academy group. Uh, yes, uh, yes, 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 yes. So you're going to have some 
underclassmen and some guys that are supposedly, according to Sam Green, coming with him uh, during his official visit. So we'll see how that works. We'll see if USC, um, you know, are, are able to sort of get their foot in the door even more with St. Francis. And then we're talking about the quarterback position at the top of this segment. You know, Michael Van Buren is out there. The uh, Bryce Young uh, lookalike, according to some. And so we'll have to see, you know, that would be another guy that would be more in line with uh, what USC, or excuse me, what Lincoln Riley has been successful at uh, with the quarterback position, uh, sort of that mold of quarterback that he had at uh, Oklahoma and certainly more in the mold of Caleb Williams. So we'll see how that goes. The last I heard, Van Buren kind of was not going to visit schools if he didn't have scholarship offers from them. And that was uh, the big uh, issue with getting him out here. And uh, we'll see if, um, you know, that changes if USC gives him a scholarship offer before uh, that uh, weekend or perhaps uh, he visits anyways just because you know, maybe you get a scholarship offer during the visit. You never know how those things go. Uh, that's uh, always behind the scenes conversations, the negotiations uh, that go on, even though scholarship offers, as we know, Chris, mean Zippo Nada Zero. They mean absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Uh, very quickly before we go into our break, we have on here some college football coaching carousel. There's some jobs, some uh, interesting Power 5 jobs that are obviously open on the market. Wisconsin, Colorado, Arizona State, Nebraska, Georgia Tech, I believe, recently became available. I would expect Auburn to be available at some point. So there's some interesting college football jobs on the market. Matt Rule. The former Baylor coach, Temple coach, was recently fired from the Carolina Panthers. So a lot of uh, those names have been tied to him as someone that they should go after. But I do not expect him to end up in the Pac-12 for Colorado and Arizona State. Nebraska seems to be the popular one there. But we'll see as things move forward. Gerard, anything you want to talk about with that? You know, there's not a whole lot going on right now uh, in terms of you know, movement with anything that is connected to USC. I think, you know, certainly when you talk about Matt Rule, the only job there that seems like it would be uh, have enough prestige for him would be the Nebraska job, you know, to, to go from the NFL to college. Nebraska is really the only job I could see uh, being a, a possibility for him. Um, it's really going to be more interesting to see, you know, these are sort of, some of these jobs are lower, more mid-level. So how does that impact assistant coaches? You know, who's going to get, uh, maybe defensive coordinator positions, um, that are currently coaches that are just position coaches. So it is something that we have to keep on our radar, uh, because it will, will impact, uh, USC eventually it's gonna, there's just, it's just the six degrees of separation. And when you have so many openings, it just becomes one of those things where you're going to see some amount of movement. So we're just going to keep this on our radar, I guess, you know, weekly and kind of look and see, you know, are there any um, staff positions? And we even got to look at support staff as well, because that's something where you, you can get some movement and that can affect uh, your recruiting and, and other things. So yeah, right now, you know, Wisconsin probably not going to hire anybody that uh, has a connection to USC, but Colorado potentially, you know, we'll see them in the PAC 12 and Arizona state, Arizona state, 
you know, the, the coach that they've got right now, Sean Aguino, I think is how you pronounce his name. Aguano, I believe. Aguano, or... he's doing a pretty good job for them, you know, and that's going to be a situation with the NCAA and everything they're going through. And I think just the league over the next two years, what becomes of the Pac-10, you know, that might be a job that you, that might be a situation where just promoting a guy like that might be good just, you know, over the next couple of years, just kind of see what your program looks like on the other side before you try to make, you know, some type of big hire and, and put a lot of money into it. Um, so, you know, that's, that's an interesting um, situation going on there at Arizona state that kind of indirectly impacts USC. Are you uh, saying I, he's Clay Helton, Arizona? Yeah, but I'm saying that that's that makes some more sense than what USC did <laughs> with Clay Helton at USC. I mean, but, that's but uh, we're just saying it's similar in terms of you know a yeah. program well, going I mean, it's, yeah, it's stable. Promoting. Yeah, it's a, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it, it's it's finding stability within the program. Um, it, it really becomes uh, how much do you want to invest in the next head coach with so much instability inherently in your program, right? So, you know, Clay Helton was hired on the other side of sanctions. There, there was no, it was not like Lane Kiffin or even Steve Sarkeesian in terms of you have that hanging over your head. For Arizona State, it's worse because they haven't really heard from the NCAA as to what, if any, actual penalties they're going to have to endure. So that's still kind of over their heads. And again, you also have the the transformation of the Pac-12 into the Pac-10, which maybe even, you know, less schools than that, you know, what is that going to look like? What What is your bottom line going to look like when the conference has to sort of realign? And so with all those things, you have those questions that in itself is going to make it more difficult to be able to get a headline uh, type of offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator to take a head coaching job at your school. You know, and we're not even talking about head coaches. We're not talking about guys like Matt Rule. I think those guys are out of the question for ASU. I'm talking about getting a, a nice up-and-comer type of offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator to take over. They may not even want to get into that situation because of the unknowns. So that's where I say this is a particular situation. This is a circumstance where promoting a guy that's there already that has the team playing well, or at least the team is playing hard. You know, they play hard against USC. Um, they beat Washington. They're, they're, they're doing something. They're, they're, they're doing something with that staff, and that might be okay um, and, and see where that goes over the next two years You know, with, a, with like a three-year contract, which is pretty cheap. You're not going to have to pay Sean Aguino a whole bunch of money. Uh, that might be the best, you know, the, the best you, uh, Arizona State can do right now. And I don't know if you mentioned, but a local guy coached high school ball and Arizona so knows the area and has a lot of respect for coaches in the area so would be a win in that regard as well so with that we'll keep an eye on you know coaching carousel moving forward as we get into the later parts of the season but Gerard it I think it's time that we take a break I think we earned a break we're going to come back hit on some stuff do some questions take a look around college football week eight scores get into some Texas A&M and Miami stuff and we're also going to hear from our sponsor, Meredith Schlosser. All right. We'll be right back after this break. Hey, two-star listeners. It's 10K Trevino, your host of the Composite Two-Star Recruits. 
I have a special treat. We have the official sponsor of the Composite Two-Star Recruits podcast, Meredith Schlosser. You hear me talk about her all the time and her team at the top of the podcast. Well, I have her on. Meredith, how are you doing? Hi, Chris. Thank you for having me. You nailed my last name. So congrats on that. Thank you. It's the thing I take pride in the most, Meredith, is getting your last name right because you are royalty around here on the Peristyle <laughs> and on this podcast. You are the queen of this podcast. You have made it happen in so many ways. And I just wanted to have you on and, you know, ask you some questions about, you know, the housing market and, you know, what first time buyers and sellers can do and just let you educate some people that might be listening to this podcast and, you know, are interested in getting into that field and maybe, you know, moving forward with you, with you guys. So I just wanted to start off by letting you give you the floor to talk about your team that I talk about so much, but I want to hear from you. Awesome. Well, thank you. The pressure is on. So we are, I, I think you've mentioned it too. You know, our team is, it, we're small. Um, I, I don't want to say small, but mighty, because that sounds cheesy, but we're a small team, full service. I have agents, I have operations, uh, COO, but we also have people helping with uh, paperwork. Most importantly, I'd say I pride myself that we're really repeat referral based, uh, but we are obviously always taking on new clients, grateful for each and every opportunity, but we're doing rentals, we're doing sales, we're covering broader LA market, and we do small and we do large. So anybody that is interested or even just has questions about the process, how it works. Yeah, I'm happy to, you know, connect with, have an interview with, however I can help. Um, but I'd say, you know, what I really tell everybody is I'm pretty OCD. We're type A, we don't miss a beat. Um, and we're thorough and we're transparent with clients. As you know, the way you worked with Jeremy is we're never going to tell somebody to do something that we wouldn't do. So I'd say that's pretty much the punchline of us. And, you know, we hustle. That's that's pretty much the name of the game for us. They hustle indeed. And as you mentioned, I know that personally from working with you and shout out to Jeremy Hensley. I call him house God. That's what he saved in my phone because he's so great. And you're right. You guys hustle and you guys get everything down to the details. Now, my second question is, you know, something about the housing market is that it changes all the time and it can be kind of intimidating for a first-time buyer, maybe a young USC grad or someone just starting out that wants to buy their first house or someone that just wants to sell their house for the first time. So Meredith, can you kind of walk me through what the current state of the housing market is? Yeah, so good, good question. Um, I think the really the, the line item about it is obviously everybody's seeing interest rates go up and up and up and everybody's, well, not everybody, but a lot of people are getting scared off by that. I think there's a lot of advantages to it, even though the interest rates are higher. You can always buy now. You can refinance later. There's still limited inventory. There's still very low levels for where we are historically in Los Angeles. So I would not be scared off of that. As a first-time buyer, you know it's really just important to understand and educate yourself on the market, the areas, what the price points are, and what you can afford. And obviously talking to someone like me, uh, punch, punch, um, and just the closing costs and the process and understanding, okay, a property is X, how much do I need for a down payment? But what are my costs going to be after that? There's taxes, there's insurance, there's, anyways, I don't want anybody's eyes to glaze over, but there's a lot of costs affiliated with buying a property. It's not just a down payment or a mortgage or a mortgage monthly payment. So 
Same goes for sellers. You know, what are the costs involved? What's the process? What happens when you sell if you need to buy a home? How does that happen at the same time? So it's a domino effect for a lot of people. It's overwhelming for most people, even if they've done it once or five times or a hundred times, it's still a daunting process or it could be, excuse me, we make it not a daunting process. Um, but yeah, we just try to take everybody through the steps and run them through the cost because there are definitely a lot of fees involved with buying and selling for sure that a lot of agents do not disclose upfront. For sure. And, you know, someone's listening to this and, you know, maybe they're thinking about buying their first house or selling their first house. I would say the first step is probably to reach out to you. But what would be, you know, the path, would you say, to, you know, educating yourself for first time buyers and first time sellers, you know, before, you know, jumping into this endeavor into something that is that can be super stressful? Right. Thank you. And thank you for saying for them to call me. And I always, to be honest, I always encourage people to interview three people. It's kind of like dating and getting married. I mean, you're not just going to marry the first person you date or whatever it may be. But I think just interviewing agents, understanding the process and talking to mortgage brokers, that that is going to be the number one thing that I would always tell people to do and find out, finding out their affordability and how much things are going to cost every month. Um, and same thing when you're a seller, right? When you sell something, if you're staying in LA, what what are what can you afford to buy? What is your net proceeds going to be to going to step into buying the next property? Um, you know, that's kind of where we're at with a lot of people right now is, hey, I sell for X, what am I going to net? And then what can I put that into? And what will that get me? Will it be better than what I'm in now? How will it compare? So just really always making sure that you're 10, like for me, I always tell clients we're 10 steps ahead because we don't want ever, anybody to ever feel like they're left behind or they don't know things or they once again have buyer's remorse or seller's remorse. That is definitely not what we want to ever happen. Meredith, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. You're in the top 1.5% of agents in the nation. So I know you have a packed schedule. So I just want to thank you so much for coming on the Composite Two Star Recruits podcast, you being the official sponsor. We really appreciate that. Do you have any message? Do you have a message for the, you know, the USC fans listening right now? Yes. Fight on USC. Fight on. She nailed that, ladies and gentlemen. So <laughs> Meredith Schlosser, you can find her at www.meredithschlosser.com. That is S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. And you can check out her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. Thank you so much, Meredith, for coming on. Thank you for having me, Chris. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Gerard, we're back. How was your break? 
we're back. It was fantastic. Fantastic. Now, it was the bye week last week, as we are all well aware. That means USC coaches were out on the road doing some recruiting. They weren't sitting back at and back in L.A. resting and relaxing. No, they were out on the road all over the country. There are a couple of notable stops. You know, Roy Manning was out in Texas uh, checking on some recruits. You know, Braylon Shelby, obviously the USC commit, stopping by to see him. Lincoln Riley was at my game at Los Alamitos, stopped by to see Malachi Nelson. Uh, Sean Nua was out there in Baltimore with uh, Sam Green, the defensive lineman commit. And uh, Brian Odom was out in Manny, Louisiana to check on Tackett Curtis for their Friday game. So coaches, Gerard, were getting their mileage in. And I hope to God Sean Nua did not have a middle seat. (laughs) Yeah, really. (laughs) Yeah, man of that size cannot be riding coach. I'm just letting you know. That's um that's just sort of how it is. You know, people always want to know, like, where are the coaches going? Where are the coaches going on the bye week? I'm going to tell you where they're going. They're going to go see their commits. That's always what happens. They don't go see other players unless those players are sort of close by in the area during those visits. Because, you know, you have practice during the week, so you can't go too far for too many days. So it's usually one of those things at the end of the week. They go out there and they hit some high schools and then they try to, you know, get around the area as much as possible. Um, to see kids, but you can't really just jump from state to state and go all these different places. Uh, but Roy Manning in Texas, I thought was interesting because he did stop at Allen. Uh, Allen, who uh, got uh, bushwhacked <laughs> by, by St. John Bosco at the beginning of the year. But, you know, not like Allen doesn't have talent. You know, they've got uh, a couple of underclassmen there. They've got 2024 defensive end, Zina Imi, who, uh, Zina, if you remember the name Amiya Zulu, his brother Nito or Neto, I'm not really 100% sure how to pronounce that because I never got that kid on the phone. I don't know if anybody from 24-7 actually ever spoke to him on the phone. I think we had like one or two interviews from camps, but he was one of those guys. He had zero interest in the recruiting process at all, and he was like a really hard read. USC had, believe it or not, a lead for him for quite a while, pretty much up until Clay Helton was fired. Clay McGuire had done a really good job and had a connection to his offensive line coaching trainer um, that was there in Dallas. And I don't know what the connection was. Maybe they're old drinking buddies or something from some other school. But uh, Clay McGuire has really had inroads with uh, Neto Emiazulu and – USC got that official visit during the summer, and then they actually got an unofficial visit from him during the season, despite being god-awful during the season, and obviously didn't work out. Texas came in with their pancake, $50,000 club, and he ended up going to Texas. Uh, But um, interestingly enough, he's got a little brother, and so USC was out there uh, to go see him, and at the same time, they offered a scholarship to the 2025 tight end from Allen, Devon Mitchell. So put some um, respect on his name, the number one tight end in 2025. Okay, the number one tight end. And uh, you know, he's a he's a good looking player, you know, 6'4, 230. And so uh Allen, you know, despite getting drubbed by St. John Bosco, they've got some talent of their own. And USC was out there uh offering scholarships left and right. And so that was the kind of interesting, not a ton of scholarship offers that came from that bye week, but again, um, it's one of those things where you know they're gonna try to get out, maybe see some local players. 
Uh, but the guys that you're going to see nationally, you're, you're not going to be able to go too far away from uh, where the commits are because that's kind of uh, who you're going to go see. So that was uh, that in a nutshell, the uh, on the road uh, visits that USC made. Um, things will obviously pick up here. The next few weeks is USC has some home games. And um, then, you know, once we get in November, we get those home visits that start. And um, the really crazy thing is we're going to be able to slap on top of all this crazy stuff, early signing day, the holidays, in-home visits, um, you know, whether USC is playing in the Pac-12 title game or maybe even have a shot at the college football playoff, along with the transfer portal, which will open up in early December. So, yeah, uh, just uh, when you thought there wasn't enough crazy stuff happening, you know, we're just going to add another layer to it. Don't forget the All-American Bowl. Well, that's later in January. So that's that's I'm talking about that, like Thanksgiving to, you know, the early signing period is just absolutely crazy nuts. That's why, you know, I welcome the day when the NCAA realizes that the early signing period at that time is uh, not the best time. Are you going to ask me any questions about Riley at Losell? Well, seeing that, I think he snuck away like right after halftime. <laughs> I don't just know before that, just before halftime. He just snuck before out. halftime. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Uh, he probably hit a couple games. Maybe he hit a couple other games that we don't know about. Um, you know, we no other commit. So uh, I don't know where he would else where else he would have went. But what did you view from him? What did you see from him? What was he? What did you spy from Lincoln Riley at Los Al? Did he look at Damian Henderson? Oh, unfortunately, Damian Henderson did not play. He was held out of that game just for rest oh. purposes. And I can also report that he did not show up in a helicopter, Gerard. No helicopter was seen. Uh, that's not true, actually. There was a helicopter that did fly over while he was on the field, but no, it did not, like, scoop him up or anything like that. I was just told he had a driver tonight, nothing fancy. And Lincoln Riley, obviously, as a USC head coach, just like a bona fide football celebrity. If so many people were coming up to get photos you know, with their kids, with selfies. Never saw that when Helton would go to games. Maybe a couple handshakes, but everyone wanted a picture with Lincoln Riley. People were coming out of the woodwork to shake his hand, say something nice to him. And, you know, he made his presence felt, you know, stood on the sidelines, stood in the end zone, watched a little bit, then then headed out. Like I said, no no Henderson was playing, no Makai Lemon. He was also out to get healthy. No Ethan O'Connor. So it's basically there to just see Malachi Nelson, uh, Gav, uh, the young uh, freshman receiver Gavin Porch, you know, he, he makes a couple of plays in front of Lincoln Riley and T.A. Cunningham had some moments as well, you know, getting back into the rhythm of things. But, yeah, you definitely felt Lincoln Riley's presence on the sideline at this at this game. Yeah, that is interesting uh, as a comparison with Clay Helton, who, yeah, definitely. I've been at multiple games where Clay Helton was at those games and um you know, usually it would be somebody on one of the coaching staffs, like an assistant coach or something, would come over and get a picture with him or what have you. But certainly not a, a scene of any sorts, you know, and um, that's a big difference between Lincoln Riley and, and Clay Helton uh, that you don't really think about, you know, after all the hubbub of the hiring and everything. And, you know, we're kind of, you know, we're into the first year and shoot, you know, almost done with the first year. And um just, you know, the presence of a head coach and, and, you know, being that leader and everybody, you know, looks at, you know, in terms of success. And obviously most of it is coming from what he did at Oklahoma. But just the fact that, you know, he's that big a name that he actually gets that much attention. 
Um, it's interesting, you know, that's a, that's a, I, I don't know if I can totally break down why that is, you know, obviously Clay Helton wasn't super successful at USC, but just being the head coach at USC, you thought that maybe he would draw more attention and, and more eyes. But I, I, honestly, the exact thing that you said is what I had witnessed with, with Clay Helton. It was pretty low key and um, he would usually be there. Uh, at the beginning of the game, and then he would leave pretty early on. And, um, you know, obviously you want to avoid the end of the game where everybody and their and their, and their parents are going to come up and want to take photos and everything. I mean, sometimes I got people want to take photos with me. I'm like, what the heck you want to take photos with me for? It's your hurricane. So, it's your hurricane. And it's like we would see just, at, at I, camps. People are just bored at the end of games. <laughs> I think people are just looking for something to do. And one person's talking to you. And and one person recognizes you, then other people think that they should recognize you too. And all of a sudden, you've got three or four people that are asking you, uh, you know, for that's photos and what have you. So, um, but yeah, I think um, that's a, definitely a, a a notable difference. And and that's you know when you talk about recruiting and and how that plays and you know who a a player wants to play for and who their parents want their son to play for, you know, that's um, that's that's a little bit of a. I guess you could say that moves the needle a little bit, you know? He's just a, like I said, football celebrity. He's one of those, you know, first name coaches like Saban or Dabo. It's Lincoln. You, you, he's instantly recognizable and it, it people want, you know, that picture with him on, on their phone. And that's kind of the deal and the vibe I felt. And yeah, it's just, it, I wonder it, why though. Like, I, I mean, the psychology of it, is it just the success that he had at Oklahoma um, yeah, you know, I mean, the Heisman Trophy winners, is it just that or is there something about his personality or something else? Because USC's done a good job with the hiring and, and making it a big deal and getting him on uh, various different you know, news outlets. I, I, I just I kind of wonder why that is. You know, I mean, Clay Helton was certainly an approachable person. Yeah. You know, he wasn't a guy that that was unapproachable whatsoever, but. There's definitely I can see where there's just a big difference in terms of that celebrity status. Yeah, I mean, I don't I can't really pinpoint it to any one thing. I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Just him being, you know, if you're at a football game, you're a football fan. And I'm assuming you watch college football and, you know, the big names in college football. And he's one of them. And he's also the head coach at USC, you know, a, a prominent program. And there's a lot more buzz and excitement around it right now. So I think it's just a bunch of those things kind of coming together and you know that's Losal kind of you know Orange County heavy USC country for the most part so uh, a lot of those guys are or those people are, are USC fans saw multiple people with like you know USC gear on coming up to him so I think they're just a lot of those are just instances of big USC fans who just happen to be at that game say hey that's Lincoln Riley I don't know when I'm ever gonna be this close to him again let's, let's get the photo and this this brings us to you know, something we noticed at the Rising Stars camp where Lincoln was never <laughs> to be found at the end of the camps. And I think we know why, because he would have been flooded with requests for photos and autographs and small chit chats that would have taken up like three hours of his time if he didn't book it out of there early. Yeah, yeah. He he always he, I get it. We actually were like, where is he? Where does he go? Like, where is he going? Because we always miss him and we're like looking for him after the camp and um yeah he always has a little escape route uh that he gets uh, before they bring him up at the end of the camp so yeah and you could imagine 
you know, at those camps, that's that's pretty wild. He was there at the end for the seven on seven camp, which uh, coincidentally was the, the most talented uh, laden event that USC had on campus last summer. But he does. He was there and he, you know, uh, took a picture with the winning team, which happened to be Los Alamitos. So, oh, there you go. There you go. Maybe they just recognize him from that. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't, uh, I mean, he he definitely was signing autographs and taking pictures afterwards. I don't know that he was completely bombarded, though, you know. Now, at that point in time. But there's also less people, I feel like, yeah, than rising stars. Because, I mean, you do have, uh, yeah, it's, exactly. And, and, and the teams get eliminated, so, you know, people start to leave and what have you. But uh, there was still, you know, a, a good amount of people that were there for Los Style Modern Day at the end. I mean, it was, you know, Los Style Modern Day, so. Um, but, uh, yeah, he hung out for that, took pictures with, you know, the teams and, and the players and what have you. Um, but, uh, that's a, that's a, just an interesting thing that, you know, I never really thought about with recruiting and, you know, sometimes you just, again, you just don't think about it until you see it, you know, you see the difference and you go, oh yeah, wow. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's something that, um, is, is going to play a factor when you're talking about recruiting. And again, I mentioned this a little bit in the war room and I don't want to go into it too much, but it actually ties into this as I'm talking about it. Um, talking to a source, was it at St. John Bosco? I think it was somebody at St. John Bosco. We were talking about uh, USC recruiting and down the stretch and in-home visits and the feeling like, you know, USC is going to have a little extra on in-home visits that people really there's an unknown there as to how much sway Lincoln Riley on in-home visits is going to have with mm-hmm. some of these players down the stretch when it comes down to it and you know it's crunch time and it's close time who has the head coach that can close you know who has the head coach that really has that to come in and really sort of just you know when things are kind of getting close and the kids really sort of not sure can close the deal. And, and, you know, I always said Clay Helton didn't do bad on him on visits. He, he, he often was praised and parents love him. A lot, a lot of parents, parents liked him. him, but this is where you see a big difference here. I mean, you're getting a little bit of an off factor with Lincoln. Rock, just did not get with Clay Helton. And how much does that impact when we get into uh, later November and we get those in-home visits and USC comes in and they bring in their five coaches you know, how much is, is how much ground can be gained in those situations where maybe USC is trailing a bit and they're able to come out of, you know, being a dark horse and, and landing a kid that people thought, ah, you know, I don't think they have a good shot at him. He's going to go here. He's going to go there. And how many of those, you know, close battles are they able to close completely? And this, um, this, this, the staff member thought, you know, that's, that's a, that's a little bit of a wild card for USC that, you know, we don't really know about. We know what Ohio State's bringing to the table. We know what Clemson brings to the table with in-home visits. And, and we know what USC didn't bring to the table with in-home visits in the past. Uh, Oregon, there's some unknown there as well with um, Dan Lanning. Uh, but I think there's a lot more cachet when it comes to Lincoln Riley. And and that's going to be interesting to see. You know, we, we, we just don't know really until it happens. It's sort of like with the summer visits, the official visits and what – recruits that they're bringing in for those visits were going to have faith in what Lincoln Riley was building and what that coaching staff was building. And, and, and before um, proof of concept, you're, you're basically having to put faith into what they're saying and what they're selling. This is what we're going to do to turn around the program. Um, now you have some time, you have a season behind you where you've seen what they've done on the field. You know, what that, what's that going to look like when they get those in-home visits? 
certainly. And we don't know, as you mentioned, what it's going to look like. But, Gerard, I'm very excited to talk about it when it does happen uh, in a couple months. So we can do that right now. We can do that right here, excuse me, on the Composite Two Star Recruits, the best USC recruiting podcast out there. Sorry, I just wanted to plug us very quickly before because there is going to be a crazy we're gonna have, we're gonna be very busy doing this podcast the next couple of months, Gerard. I'm just warning you. Yeah, that's it's yeah. <laughs> we we are we are hope I mean we'll have a lot to talk about. It's one of those things though, you know, we kind of focus on maybe a a, a smaller number of things but maybe they're more important you know there's some bigger moves that are made but yeah when you have the portal and you have official visits and you're going to have in-home visits and then you're going to have you know who's taking unofficial visits to campus and there's a lot of that done secretly um you know and then <laughs> you're going to actually have the signing period which who's going to actually sign early you know is there going to be some nil shenanigans which you know guys are going to wait till the last minute and they're going to try to drum up more interest and they're going to end up you know, signing later, like we've seen with some of those guys in Brandon Huffman land uh, up there in the Northwest where they stretch it out into uh, March. Uh, we're going to have to see, you know, how it all uh, shakes out here. And um, that's, like I said, that period of we get into like Thanksgiving weekend all the way to the early signing period. That's crazy. At least this year, however, we do not have potential coaching changes that we have to worry about right. so much. Right. You know, that that on top of everything was just crazy last year you know you're you're trying to uh you know juggle the holidays with your family and then you're trying to you know try to figure out you know is usc going to even salvage this 2022 class who are they going to actually have as a head coach you know who they sign is going to be uh, it's going to have a huge impact on the recruiting class not just now but going forward yeah there was so many questions last year but unfortunately we've had some of those questions you know during the year even with clay helton you know there was a lot of sort of dark clouds over his head and the, you know, is USC actually going to pull the trigger false reports that he had been fired when he hadn't been fired. All kinds of crazy stuff going on. So this year is the first year where we're looking through the prism of stability. When we think of USC football recruiting and what they can do. And so again, if they get some momentum here at the end of the season, they have a good year. I asked this question last week. What's the ceiling? I don't know what the ceiling is. You know, it, it could be sky's the limit. It's it's really tough to say. We have to get through a cycle, or at least this first year uh, of the two-year cycle, to really know what they're capable of doing. Just like I said, during the summer, we were sort of like, I don't know, man. They're having this big recruiting weekend. Might work for them. Right afterwards, it looked like it wasn't going to. But, you know, subsequently, we look back on it. And it, it looked like it was a pretty successful weekend. They'll probably have another big weekend like that next summer. So, you know, all of these things are new for us. So we're kind of trying to gauge, you know, the success rate of, uh, of these moves. And, and, you know, then we can kind of look at hindsight and analyze them. Sounds like great topics for a potential 24-hour stream. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm just putting it out there. But with that, let's move on to our weekly segment of looking around college football and some of those scores and, and kind of talk about them. And we'll have a little more in-depth recruiting, uh, excuse me, a bi-week recruiting angle to go along with this segment. But, you know, some notable scores from over the weekend, just going to run through those really quickly. We talked about it last episode, but the big Pac-12 showdown, top 10 matchup between Oregon and UCLA. The Ducks proved the better team in that one, defeating UCLA, their first, handing them their first loss of the season, 45-30. to 30. Pretty uh, clear it was the Ducks' were the better team after a 10-10 tie, got that onside kick and just 
kind of ran off with it. UCLA had to settle for a bunch of field goals, and that wasn't enough for that high-powered Oregon offense. South Carolina upset Texas A&M, which is just burning at this point, a, a tire fire, if you will, 30-24. to 24. They beat the Aggies. Uh, just terrible, terrible for the Aggies and that recruiting class and, and the, the historic recruiting class and a bunch of drama still going on with that and Jimbo Fisher. Oklahoma State pulled a wild comeback win over Texas, 41-34 over the Longhorns. Another loss for the Sarkeesian era. Uh, another tough look for the Texas teams. And then out in ACC country, Duke put the beat down on Miami, 45-21. to 21. I believe the Hurricanes had eight turnovers, which is just wild, wild to see for, for a Power 5 team to have eight turnovers in a game. But Duke beat down the Hurricanes. Gerard, you're, you're brethren as a Hurricane yourself. <laughs> yeah, not that kind of Hurricane. Not I, that, I, I'm I, just saying, I'm just saying, you're a Hurricane, I, they're Hurricanes, you know, you're, you're, you're in the same family. I think at first we got to look at Oregon and certainly, Oregon. you know, Oregon is a recruiting power in the Pac-12 or they have been a recruiting power in the Pac-12. And certainly um, after just getting completely blitzkrieged by Georgia at the beginning of the year, they've been able to turn it around. It, it's still hard to know exactly how good Oregon is. We know they have talent. I mean, that's the thing I said last week. You know, this is the first team that, A, UCLA is going to play on the road, uh, really, in any kind of environment that, that's going to be hostile to them. And, B, this is really the most talented team that they play. They play uh, Utah at home. Utah's not a team with a ton of talent. They're, they're, not, they're not that type of team. This is as talented as Oregon has been. I mean, Mario Cristobal recruited extremely well for them. And so, you know, it's just a matter where I think just Oregon had better football players. You know, and, and UCLA – which Chip Kelly has been kind of stubborn recruiting and, and really just getting guys for his system and really building his program on his system. And that being the most important thing, kind of the first and foremost um, aspect of UCLA football is, you know, the offensive system that Chip Kelly runs. And so it didn't work. You know, I mean, I think Oregon was just better uh, athletically and, and, and pushed UCLA around a bit. And, uh, and you, you UCLA just wasn't able to capitalize and execute, you know, down in the red zone. So, you know, Oregon had a, a bunch of recruits up there. Um, not too many guys that, that USC is recruiting in the, you know, 2023 class, actually. Um, I think it was, you know, one of those games where they felt like it could probably go either way for them. <laughs> if they knew they were going to be as dominant as they were, they probably would have tried to bring in even more recruits. But it's one of those things where you got to be careful because you can end up looking pretty bad at home if you lose to a team. So um, it wasn't uh, the the biggest uh, group ever. But, um, you know, they did, I think, interestingly, going back, you know, talking about 2024 target list, they did get a commitment from 2024 tight end A.J. Pugliano. And so that was interesting that, you know, everybody talked about Joey Olsen, Joey Olsen. That's the number one tight end in Oregon. Uh, and that was the guy that, you know, the Ducks had, had really gone after first and foremost. Uh, but, you know, they're not necessarily, you know, going to wait for Joey Olsen. You know, they decided to go ahead and pull the trigger on Pugliano. So I think that's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, the Ducks have been using the tight end position really well. And we talked about that with uh, some of our recruiting angles that tight end utilization in Lincoln Riley's offense at USC just hasn't been there, you know, and they're recruiting some top guys like Deuce Robinson. Uh, maybe, you know, Nicholas Harper ends up being a tight end. 
there's some players out there that they're going after and they haven't been able to showcase that position as well as some of these other schools, Texas, um, you know, certainly Georgia and, and Oregon. So that's, you know, kind of an interesting takeaway from that game. Uh, Oregon right now, you know, clear uh, Pac-12 uh, championship team to beat, if you will. Um, I think this supposedly, and and I don't know about the tiebreakers and how that all has been settled out because I think that's still a little bit of a question. But, um, you know, this works well for USC if uh, they're able to, to beat UCLA. Um, this gives them a clearer shot of getting to the Pac-12 championship game. Obviously, Utah has to, uh, I think, lose again, uh, which they probably will. Um, but uh, so that from that standpoint, I, I think some Trojan fans were, were kind of rooting for Oregon. Uh, but for the other games, yeah, certainly, you know, Texas loses again after having a 14-point lead on the road. Um, so, sort of looking very Sarkeesian, uh, Texas is, uh, from some of the other, <laughs> the, 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 you know, how he was at USC and how he was at Washington, sort of the MO. Um, you know, he's kind of looking that way. Texas, you know, looks like, I think they look like a better team than last year, certainly. So I think you have to take that into account that there has been some progression just in terms of how they're playing. Uh, but they're still losing some games that, you know, they, they, they really can't lose. Um, South Carolina being Texas A&M, we talked about that earlier, Texas A&M, just not a very good football team, just not very good uh, on the offensive side of the ball at all. But even their young defense is, is not played particularly well, giving up 30 points to South Carolina. And then Duke hammering Miami is just, um, yeah, you know, at one point does, uh, you know, that, that class that Miami have, start to look around. Uh, it is a rebuild for Mario Cristobal. We know that. We knew that coming into the season. There's a certain grace period that you have, but you can only lose so many games so badly before some of these kids start looking around going, is this really the ticket? Is this really where I want to go? Is this the offense that I want to be in? Um, I don't know if we're at that point yet. You know, I haven't heard so much about Francis Mauagoa looking to take additional official visits or something going on. I don't even know if he can take additional official visits. I know he took Miami. No, I think he's done with his official visit. So maybe popping up somewhere for an unofficial visit. Um, I haven't heard anything about that. I know that's what USC fans want to hear. Trojan fans want to hear about him uh, potentially taking an unofficial visit to USC. I haven't heard anything about that lately. Uh, but that class, just in general, you, you know, it, it you're going to look for that, you know, maybe that first decommitment and then all of a sudden, it may become a domino effect. So um, we're definitely on notice with that because Miami is playing poorly. Uh, well, I have to ask, did you see that, that Miami recruit photo that someone posted of all yeah, the guys I mean, kind of sitting there, Francis included? Yeah. And, and to be fair now, you talked about this, how, you know, the kids are kids and, and, you know, even in a good game, sometimes that's what you're going to see. You're going to see them sitting on their phones. <laughs> you know, talking to whoever, their girlfriends or whoever they have there. Um, that's not necessarily indicative of guys being unhappy or what have you, but certainly um, this is a, a, a rebuild and it's a rebuild with the staff that isn't necessarily known for being, you know, incredible in terms of their game management and what have you. Um, so I don't know, you know, we're going to have to see how it all comes together. Um, NIL has been a big, vehicle for Miami putting together this class and certainly there are some unknowns with that in terms of how committed some of these guys are um, but at the end of the day yeah um, you know with Miami it's it's got to be 
you know, how does the 2023 class shake out? Are they able to keep all these guys together? With Texas A&M, it's really going to be porthole watch. <laughs> That's where everybody's going to be looking and seeing, man, if this thing falls apart on them here, uh, they got a lot of very talented players. You know, they recruited pretty well the last two cycles. It wasn't just 2022. So there are some players there, and we mentioned them in the past, that have some connections to USC, whether it be a, the old Oklahoma staff or guys uh, like Chris Marshall, wide receiver, who uh, officially visited USC. So um, there is some potential that some of those guys that pop up in the porthole and certainly, you know, that would be a situation where those players are going to be coveted. And those are the type of guys you want to go after. We don't want to see USC going after, you know, big bodies or guys from big colleges like Alabama, just because they're from Alabama and you're hoping, Oh, well, they didn't play at Alabama because, you know, there's just Alabama so stacked, you know, we've talked about this in the past. And I think USC is at a point where in terms of roster building, you want to get more sure bets. And Alabama knows what they're doing. I mean, the guys that have left the program, uh, they're definitely guys that weren't going to make an impact there, either for injuries or for other reasons. Um, and the guys that they're bringing in are guys that are good players. So you have to sort of take that mentality as well. And you've got to go after the sure bets. You've got to go after the guys you feel like can actually compete and be starters for you. I don't think USC had that mentality um, this past cycle. Just, you know, Lincoln Riley's trying to basically uh, build up this roster. Um, from, I don't want to say scratch, but certainly, you know, you bring in almost 30 guys, you're, you're, you're looking for just some bodies, you know, you're just looking for some contributors at that, at that standpoint, going forward, you're looking for stars. You're looking for more Jordan, Jordan Addison's than you are uh, guys are just going to sort of be, you know, in the rotation for you. So uh, that's, that's what you have to do going forward. But Texas A&M will have some guys that, you know, if they transfer, they're going to be transferring, they're going to be talented. They're going to be guys that, you know, could have potentially made impacts. It's just that, uh, you know, that system right now is just not working out for them. Right. And the big news that hit today was that Texas A&M actually suspended three freshmen from that 2022 class uh, for a locker room incident where they allegedly were smoking a certain uh, green plant in the a locker certain room. substance that is what it's a legal in texas but legal in california it is legal in california they were smoking that in the locker room before the south carolina uh game which is uh wild gerard wild gerard but those names have come out as uh cornerback denver harris wide receiver chris marshall and offensive lineman pj williams were the three suspended players so we're beginning to see more cracks in the uh in aggieville uh gerard so I wouldn't be yeah, shocked. Chris to has... Marshall. Oh, go ahead. I was, was, was going to say Chris Marshall, I believe, was already suspended earlier in the year. Yeah, there, uh, I was going to mention they had some other suspensions earlier. So, yeah, that sounds that sounds right. Yeah, I would so not be shocked uh, to see what what pops into the portal when they when it's open. Certainly, when you have those behavioral type of issues, and listen, smoking in the locker room is no bueno. You can't yeah. do that. You know, yeah. whether weed is legal or not in your state um and considering it's not legal in texas that's a really bad you know thing to do but uh whether it's legal or not you don't you don't do that you know you, you know it's, that's a that's a no-no um but yeah he certainly has um a familiarity with usc and being on an official visit to usc uh denver is it denver harris denver harris cornerback yes. denver harris is a cornerback that was uh 
out. I think he was out of North Shore. That is who, correct. That is correct. You know, a lot of a lot. He was a five star guy. He was ranked the number one cornerback in the nation for a, a short while. Um, he was a guy that looked at USC and had a relationship with Craig Niver, but it seemed like it was going to be Texas, Texas A&M back and forth. Um, Alabama was was up there as well for them. I don't know that USC would really have a shot with him because he never took that official visit to USC. And again, with some of these guys, before they actually get in the portal, it, it's really about relationships. There's a lot of stuff, and I don't want to say tampering, but there's some conversations that go on between high school coaches and certain people that might be associated with college football programs before these kids actually become uh, actual portal transfers officially and so that is a, a part of this it's you know already built in relationships and um you know you gotta really hit the ground running because these guys do not stay on the market very long absolutely not and there's a lot of talent in there so we'll have to see how all of that shakes out once the portal season window opens and the portal season really begins in a couple months a couple months sounds like but we did have a early fan question that kind of pertains to what we're talking about here, particularly when it comes to Miami. So I just wanted to ask it here. It comes from Tariq. Uh, Miami is three and four coming off a loss to Duke. They have a high probability of losing at least two more games. What impact do you feel this season will have on the decision of Francis Maui Goa? Now, that's... Well, we talked about that. We, yeah. we already said. I mean, it's up in the air. We haven't heard too much from his camp. It's getting to the point, though, where, you know, you start to ask and you start to wonder, OK, you know, is he in it for the long haul? Does he feel like, you know, hey, Mario Cristobal has put some guys in the NFL at Oregon. He's an offensive line coach. He's a head coach, et cetera, et cetera. Or Trust the, the process. Off, yeah. Are the wheels coming off enough where it's like, you know, do I really want to wait around for another maybe two years? Like I, I'm going to be in my junior season before we actually see a turnaround. Um, it's hard to compare the Miami situation with where USC was. Clearly Miami was a better team last year than USC was, um, but they have been for longer mediocre than USC has. You know, USC's had uh, a Rose Bowl run uh, the first year that Clay Helton. They got to the Cotton Bowl. And when I... you start losing like this, people not show up. And you start to get UCLA Rose Bowl type of attendance. And that's bad for recruiting because in the kids they kind of see all right you know there's a little extra that has to go in um to to get in this program to where it's you know back in the butch davis days you know and that's uh uh one of those things that's um it's 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 not a traditional college football power in the way that a usc or ohio state or or uh you know uh, uh, alabama is you know there it's a pro town and very fickle fans and um, you got to – yeah, I, I, I just – I know that the feeling is Mario Cristobal can just recruit well and they can just out-talent people. But we've seen some Florida State and some Miami football programs with a lot of talent be very mediocre. So just like USC, I mean, you, you have to have the right coaches there. And I don't know if Cristobal is a guy. And definitely – you can we can't even like really say hot seat, right? Can you be on the hot seat after one season? You can't, right? No, no. There's yeah. there's there's a grace period. There's a honeymoon period. I think somebody even asked um, on the Peristyle the other day about you know when is Lincoln Riley's honeymoon period over? 
it's not until after year two. In my opinion, with any big hire, any investment of that nature, and Miami invested a lot of money for Mario Cristobal, um, you, you're you in it for at least two seasons to three seasons. But I think from a fan base standpoint, regardless of whether you're talking about fired or not, you're, you're, you're really – it's at the beginning of the third year is where you start to talk about, okay – now we've seen two seasons. We've seen two recruiting cycles. What have you done for me lately? That's that's when you start to have those questions. In my opinion, college day and age, and this is, you know, something that people would have laughed at 20, 30 years ago uh, when you're talking about college football coaches and and hot seat and what have you. Uh, they would have said, you know, you, you've got four years before you start to talk about that. You know, the honeymoon period has got to be at least three to four years, but that's definitely changed. Um, in recent times. And I, I think two years is really where, you know, most fans and listen, you're going to have idiots. Okay. So you're going to have people that they're just, you know, they're going to say silly things and say, Oh, you know, should fire this guy. You fire this guy. You know, we've got a, a lot of people uh, on the peristyle that are already questioning whether Alex Grinch is on the hot seat, um, which I think is a, a bit presumptuous. I think that uh, you, you definitely got two years, two seasons under your belt. And you're getting on the backside of spring ball going into that third year before you really start to ask those type of questions. So in my opinion, yeah, the, the honeymoon period um, is, is not over for Lincoln Riley. Uh, it's uh, it's still not over for Mario Cristobal. I think that there still has to be patience within the Miami Hurricane fan base. But again, that's a fan base that's in a pro town and, and there's just it's not going to be a lack of patience like you would see at a Texas A&M or, or an Ohio State. Or, or even maybe Nebraska, it, it's more going to be people just not going to care, right? It's just, and that's the worst thing. It, they just, oh, I, you know what? They suck. I don't care. I'm going to go sit on the beach. You know, I'm going to do whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go to, 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 to see what the Dolphins are doing or the Heat are doing or whatever. Um, there's other things to do. And so you just lose complete interest in the program. And that's scary because that apathy that, that, that exists there it can kind of prolong a, a situation like you had with Clay Helton because you don't have this vitriol. You don't have this, uh, the, the, the masses that are just like, dude, we got to make change right now. Like we're not a good football program. This is not a good move. And you have the pressure on the administration. And so USC had some of that, but certainly not to the extent that you would have at, you know, a small college town, like an Alabama or like Ohio State or Michigan, et cetera, where you might get a lot more of that or Texas A&M where they're talking about, you know, fire Jimbo Fisher, but Jimbo Fisher's is, you know, his freaking buyout is $90 million. I don't even understand how that's even possible, but <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't, you can't fire him. That's, you can't do that and hire another coach that you're going to have to pay $10 million a year. That's impo- that, I mean, I know there's there's probably some deep pockets there. They got some oil um, money, baby. I wouldn't put anything yeah, past Yeah, but you know what? Um, it ain't Saudi oil money. <laughs> it's not That's that true. kind of oil money. That's true. That's fair. But, yeah, I don't I don't know what's going on. And I don't know. At that point, at this point, it only feels like the only logical explanation is that he's trying to lose games so he can get that buyout. That's what I would be doing, Gerard. $95 million? Let's go. I'll 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 take the fall. I'll take the fall. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's it. You're still there, right? I'm still here. He's still there. I thought I lost him for a second. I got I got a little worried, but he's still here. He's still here. Uh, Gerard, 
why don't you move into our last point before listener questions? If you can quickly just run us down, as you always do so so well, the high school schedule for this weekend. Yeah, um, some uh, interesting games. I think the biggest game is going to be out there uh, in Phoenix. You're going to have Highland, uh, Gilbert, Arizona, which is home to one of the top offensive tackles at USC is recruiting Caleb Lamu. They're going to be playing at Pinnacle, uh, where you've got Elijah um, Page and uh, Mr. As we, we talked about him, Deuce Robinson, five-star tight end from uh, Pinnacle. That's going to be a huge game up in Arizona. Uh, you know, probably uh, we'll see, uh, you know, a lot of talent on the field. I don't know if we're going to be able to cover that one. I'm not 100% sure. We'll see what our guy Trevor Booth is doing. I know he's going down to Tucson uh, to cover the game with you guys, uh, the Arizona game. So, um, yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's a big game, um, that, uh, you know, is, is on the docket. Um, trying to think, you know, uh, Polly's going through their more league. They're going to blow out, uh, Jordan. Um, Sarah's going to be playing up at Chaminade. Uh, they should win that game. It'd be a little more challenging for them. Um, the Trinity schools are basically rounding out their schedules. Uh, they've got, uh, this last week, uh, you've got um, St. John Bosco is going to host Santa Margarita, and uh, Modern Day is going to be playing at Servite. Uh, they're going to play at Cerritos College. So both those are pretty easy games for both teams. Santa Margarita is, you know, capable of giving St. John Bosco a little better game than Servite is Modern Day, um, but still uh, not going to be a huge game. So it's a pretty chill um, week on the docket. You know, no, no real big games. It's really the biggest game is going to be out there, like I said, in Arizona. Uh, with the Highland playing Pinnacle. Gerard, now that the high school schedule is officially out of the way, that means it is time for us to move into the final part of our show as usual. Listener questions, listener questions, excuse me. If you have a question that you want answered on our podcast, easy. Just email us at podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put the composite, two-star recruits, Chris and Gerard, 10K and Hurricane Hent. Hurricane and Chris, whatever combination, cilantro boys, whatever combination you want, just put it in the header so it gets to my inbox through that email podcast at uscfootball.com. You can also DM me. That is, seems to be the most popular way to send questions is to DM me for the show. So, Gerard, we are here. We have arrived at listener questions. So I'm just going to pick one randomly out. Let's see. We have one from Drew. I just saw that Joseph Wete. Linebacker from Oklahoma entered the portal. Can you enlighten me, enlighten me on if and how he'd be able to help the SC defense? Second question. I also noticed that he was from the DMV. Do you guys think that USC will sign at least three from the DMV in the next recruiting cycle, high school and or transfer? And that comes from Drew. Drew, which one do you want to attack first? Well, Joseph Wete, I am not all that familiar with. I know he had a scholarship offer from USC in the 2019 recruiting class, but I don't recall him ever officially visiting USC or USC really being among the top schools he was looking at. Obviously, he's got a prior relationship with the Oklahoma staff, but this goes back to what I was saying earlier in the podcast about taking castaways or potential injured players, in other words, busts, off of bigger programs because they're big programs and you look at power five programs and you see a position in need and you want to want to have that player in your program. You want that need. You want that player to fill it. 
And sometimes you start filling in blanks on evaluations. Now, in this particular situation, obviously, I think the Oklahoma staff, Roy Manning, to some extent, although Roy Manning was the cornerback coach at Oklahoma, uh, at least the last couple years he was there. I'm not 100% sure who was coaching Joseph Wete. It might have been Brian Odom, but I kind of think not because I don't think he was like an inside linebacker for Oklahoma. So I don't know who made the evaluation on him. I don't know who would have information on, you know, where he is in terms of injuries right now, why he hasn't played much for Oklahoma the past couple of years. But again, you just don't want to take castaways because they were four-star recruits out of high school and they went to a big program. That's just the USC has got to move a tier up. You know, you're not just taking bodies. Now you're taking guys that are proven commodities at other colleges, whether it be smaller colleges, you know, that's fine. If you take a guy that's, um, you know, maybe he's a, a division three guy and he's just been prolific or he's been at a smaller school like Wyoming with Solomon Bird, somebody who's been a productive player. I think that's what you're looking for for USC. So for the first question, that's my answer. I don't know, Chris, if you have anything to uh, to interject, because you being a DMV guy, you maybe, you know, Joseph Witte from uh, the DMV in his days in D.C.? I don't know him personally, but I just wanted to throw out there that, yes, he was a prospect 2019 and he was a teammate of Mr. Caleb Williams. They went to the same high school in Gonzaga. They were a class apart. And I would just say, you know, maybe, Gerard, this was the guy they took to help them with Caleb Williams, who they were recruiting uh, that next cycle, the 2020 cycle. You know, five-star quarterback could have been, you know, just help get the foot in the door with Gonzaga. I don't think Lincoln needs that much help when it comes to recruiting quarterbacks, but still, you know, kind of helping build that uh, kind of that bridge from Oklahoma to DMV, Gonzaga, uh, WCAC school, what have you. So just something to think about. And in terms of the next question, will they sign at least three from the DMV? I don't really think, I mean, they have some, some, some offers out there in the DMV. I would say I would go with the under right now. There isn't like one guy that's like, for one, they were, they were recruiting the guy out of DeMatha, Tavani Mizell, who transferred up from Florida. He was a guy USC was looking at pretty hard. And then he went and had made an early commitment to Georgia. If he was still on the board and they were still kind of commi- uh, talking to him and recruiting him like that, and he wasn't uncommitted, I would probably go with the over, but I would probably go with the uh, under right now, under three. But I think they will sign at least one. So I guess if we're talking about 2023 class off the top of my head, in terms of DMV targets that are seriously considering USC, you've got Nick Harbor, uh, who's at he's from D.C. You've got, I just want to say I interpret that as 2024. But if it's 2023, that's different. <laughs> well, you've got one already committed for 23 in Sam Green. Right. Correct. Um, I interpret it as this class because this is the next class. This this is technically what you're going to sign is this class, the next class. Sure. Um, 2024 is, you know, who knows? That's 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 that is light years away in recruiting time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's a closer you get to the event horizon. time slows. I'm always uh, bad at interpreting questions. We know this. We know this. Yeah, to, it's, say well, no, it's, to be fair, it's like one of those things that, um, you know, when you're asking somebody about the weekend, is it next weekend? Is it this weekend? You know, you got, you kind of have to be specific as to like the, the time frame here. 
Um, it's kind of depending on when the week you ask it, you know, when, if you're on a Wednesday or you're on a Thursday or you're on a Monday, but anyways, um, I'm going to take this as 2023 and you've got Sam Green, uh, the 6'2", 260 pound three-star defensive lineman from St. Francis Academy in Baltimore already committed. So you've got one down. Can you get two more? Nick Harbor, uh, as I said, would be, uh, one other, um, perspective DMV prospect that USC has a chance of signing Elijah Hughes, uh, from, um, Arlington, Virginia, uh, who officially visited USC during the ASU game, is another uh, potential player. Um, Sam Green has a teammate that I know USC is working on. They're trying to get him out on an official visit to USC. Uh, Deshaun Womack, Womack, who's a defensive lineman, 6'4", 240 pounds, committed to LSU right now. He's a four-star. So that would be uh, another potential DMV uh, player that USC is recruiting. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of off the top of my head the 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 list uh, the pool of talent that they could bring in so what's the over under that they actually get three guys from that group uh to commit i think harbor right now is you know we don't know a lot about elijah hughes um to interrupt myself thinking about this in my head he officially visited usc we know that he's favored virginia tech for a long time the biggest question for him is going to be can you leave home from, from for school can you leave home and go across the country um the schools that are after him are all schools that are very beatable on the football field for usc in other words in terms of the product on the field right now usc is superior they're superior from a tradition standpoint from a football standpoint usc is checking all the boxes for elijah hughes the question is you know can he leave the east coast does he want to go away from home for college and we just don't know that right now. He's not one to do interviews. He doesn't want to talk about the process. Um, maybe somebody, you know, we, we get somebody out there. We've been trying to coax uh, shotgun into in going up there to uh, go watch him play, go uh, hit a Saturday, Friday game, maybe get some Nick Harbor action on a Saturday and a, an Elijah Hughes game on a, on a Friday. He's not interested. Uh, <laughs> so I, I don't know. We're kind of in the dark a little bit about, uh, about Elijah Hughes, uh, but you got to think USC's got to be like in his top two, top three right now. Nick Harbor is a little more of a USC's trying to get that final official visit, or or at least one of his last official visits. I think his final official visit is going to be to Maryland, but that could very easily be you know that first week of December because you've only really got two weeks in December where you can get official visits. And so, you know, what's also going to impact USC from that standpoint is whether they're playing in the Pac-12 championship championship game because if you're not playing the Pac-12 championship game you're going to get a week there where you can recruit if you're playing in the game you're not going to be recruiting you're not going to have official visitors uh USC is going to be in Vegas playing probably Oregon so from that standpoint um you know there there's probably going to be only one week there in December and so Maryland he has said already on record that because it's the hometown school he wants to go and, and see Maryland. Now that could change. I mean, you know, if, if he's not really seriously considering Maryland, that could change, but that says what, that's what he says he wants to do. So he's really only got one date basically open right now. And, and he, and I mean, it seems like USC would be the school. If USC is the school, I'll say this with Nick Harbor, and he does take that official visit for the Notre Dame weekend. It looks good for them because he's been very quiet about USC and he's been very quiet about filling that other date you know he's already said hey last date's going to be uh maryland okay so maybe it is he's um i think was supposed to already officially visit lsu in october i know 
that date came and went. It was supposed to be the 8th. I'm not 100% sure if he actually made that date. He's been to South Carolina, um, and he's got Michigan as well there. And a lot of people feel like it's LSU, Michigan, um, and I I think those schools are are definitely at the top, if not, you know, involved with him. Um, From a favorite standpoint, you know, they've led for a while. Because he's like a real dark horse, though, man. I mean, he came out here. He really liked his visit. He likes the track program. He likes the people involved with it. Uh, I think he's got a really good relationship with Lincoln Riley and the staff. Uh, again, we don't know from the standpoint of, you know, where he really is going to play uh, if he was to sign with USC. Uh, but nevertheless, if USC is able to get that visit and it's just been kept quiet, the kind of, you know, that, that sort of tells me something. Like, you know, he doesn't want USC to be looked at as, uh, a, a favorite, you know, the way that everybody talks about with Michigan and with LSU, particularly Michigan. I mean, he's been very open and transparent about Michigan. His mom went to Michigan or his mom's from Detroit. And so they, you know, kind of have a relationship there with that staff in that area. Uh, so he's been very open about that. And a lot of people just go, oh, well, you know what? That, that means he's going to Michigan. You know, Michigan's a favorite. And with LSU, it's more like track program and things of that nature. Uh, I don't know from a football standpoint, like what's the relationship been like with the new staff and Brian Kelly. I'm sure uh, with Jamar Kane there because he was at Oklahoma, there's a relationship with him. Uh, I think that's probably where that comes from. And he's a you know defensive coordinator, uh, defensive line coach for uh, LSU. Uh, so USC is like definitely the school that he came out, visited on his own dime, really liked it. You know, again, you know, he had a track meet out here and, and was able to do a two for two. Um, he hasn't been out here since. He did even get a crystal ball, I think, for South Carolina at one point. I, I never thought that was really going to happen. Um, so, I, yeah, I, it's going to be interesting. If he makes that visit and it's kind of just been kept quiet for a long time, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but that that just tells me that he likes USC a lot and he doesn't want, want anybody else to really, like, pound on him about, you know, USC and, and maybe, you know, the chances that they have of landing him. Harbor, Harbor, Harbor is obviously the lynch point of this number. What was the answer to that question? Yeah, Harbor. I kind of, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, uh, because I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say, USC is just trying to get Womack on the, on campus right now. So can't put him in a group as a guy that USC has a good shot at. But I would say with Hughes and Harbor, those are guys that USC has, has a decent shot at. But Harbor, certainly you got to get him on camp. You got to get a secured official visit from him you know you got to lock that in and once that's a done deal then you go okay all right now usc's got uh, a legit shot at him but if they happen to slip and another school squeezes in there you know because you know there's obviously a bunch of other schools that are that are recruiting him um that could change things obviously you know usc's not in it anymore so uh, at that point you say no they're not <laughs> they're not going to get at least three so you're taking the under is what you're saying you know i got to take the under until we get more context until we know that yeah until we know that nick harbor is gonna officially visit usc yeah i i take the under all right next question comes from roderick roderick uh not roderick pleasant uh but hello guys i asked a question last week in which gerard replied it was before my time then proceeded to give some good information about jason thomas's recruitment well, Roderick, you're you're learning the the composite to recruit, uh, <laughs> the style uh, in the style we... of this podcast, and that Gerard will maybe say something like, "Oh, I don't really know much about that," and then 20 minutes later, you're like, "Hey, you do know some stuff," and 
And, you know, it goes off on all these tangents, but he always gives you some bit of information in what he tells you, even if he claims it was before my time or I don't really remember that. He still remembers something. But Roderick's question is, how did Gerard get involved with recruiting news? Gerard, please keep this under an hour in your breakdown. <laughs> the lore. The lore. Troy Annenberg. Troy Annenberg, actually, that's kind of where it started. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, I went <laughs> to school uh, for journalism, got my journalism degree. But before I actually graduated, I you know, already posted on uh, Rivals and Scout and, and a couple message boards. And I had uh, posted a list of recruits that I thought USC should be recruiting. Um, at that point, I had a uh, student sports internship, and I was uh, doing a little something for them. I was, I was posting on their national high school football message board, and I was very much into high school football. I was more into just covering high school football, Dale Sal, Modern Day, um, some of the teams on the East Coast. Um, you know, Lakeland uh, was was big at that point, uh, St. Ignatius and Cleveland. Um, so there was various different high school football powers that uh, I was on top of, but subsequently also knew a little bit about some of the recruits that were out there. And so I just posted some some things that I knew, you know, gleaming from just covering high school football and, and some guys that, you know, USC might might be able to to get their foot in the door with uh, both nationally and locally. And um, Ryan and uh, old poster, if you guys uh, remember, BG or uh, Domer BG4 is what he used to uh, post under. I, I know him as Brian, but uh, Domer BG4 was an OG uh, poster uh, for the Peristyle. In fact, maybe even it was before the Peristyle he started posting. So he was a moderator uh, on the message boards and. Uh, he and Ryan had talked and had seen, you know, my contributions in the message boards and at that point posting under Troy Annenberg. And um, Ryan reached out to me and said, hey, you know, uh, I saw your list or whatever. It's like, could you put something together like more formally, you know, maybe and and, uh, and do something? And so uh, I put together the USC football down target list. The, that was the first uh, iteration, which wasn't a whole lot different than the target list now. I mean, now they're kind of in a PDF file and they're embedded and things. And that's just because of uh, some of the limitations we have with 24-7 sports and the lack of freedom we have with coding. Uh, it used to be just HTML code, but I was, you know, studying that and, and I'd taken some classes with web design and whatever. So instead of just making a list with a bunch of links, I kind of went above and beyond and made this like color-coded sort of thing. Exactly what you get to see now. It, it, again, it hasn't changed a whole lot since then. And, um, and, you know, Ryan was, was impressed. And so I was very professional about it and, you know, kind of started chipping in and helping moderate and uh, went to a couple practices and did some interviews and what have you. And because I was going to school and I kind of knew how to write, uh, it all sort of just came together. And I was like, Hey man, I want to, I want to hire you full time at some point. And so I think, you know, within a couple of years, I was basically working full time for uscfootball.com and, and doing recruiting. So it, it, it was really my first job. It's wild to me that there are people, well, at least I assume that there are people that are on the board currently that saw that first, like, Troy Annenberg target list that were there for the beginning. Like, seeing, it's like seeing Kiss play in a, in a shitty bar. They saw the <laughs> first 
iteration. They saw they the saw start of a legend. In the backyard uh, in Pasadena somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, it it was it, like I said, it wasn't a whole lot different. People liked it, you know. They 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 liked it then, and and they they like it now. Um, it was just uh some way to kind of put together some things that i learned about html code and i just like i said i thought i had a little more flash than just making a list of names and putting links to them and what have you and i was trying to impress ryan i was trying to say look it i'm not just some slappy that just you know like i'm a fan and and whatever and i'm just gonna you know put a bunch of names on a list uh, i was trying to show that you know i actually knew stuff <laughs> and so um yeah that's that's how it all sort of came together and um you know domer was a part of that as well Domer, i don't know i haven't talked to domer in years and years i don't know if he's still around I, he kind of fell out of love with, with i think uh usc football you know as, as the pete carroll years kind of came to a close and you know you had uh the sanctions and everything and you know we lost a lot of trojan fans during that 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 point that period you know between uh lane kiffin and, and here we are now so you know it'll be interesting to see if uh you know, some of those old faces uh, end up back on the peristyle um, if USC is able to make a, another big run. But, um, yeah, that's that's how it all sort of started out. It, it was uh, me falling into doing communications and then journalism because I was I actually was doing a lot of speech classes. Like I did argumentation and debate and like rhetoric classes and things like that because I just could talk. And I wasn't a, a lot of people have a, a fear of speaking oh, you can talk. Public. I could talk, <laughs> but I don't. So I was like, Hey, you know, I'm pretty good at this. And, but, but actually, uh, one of, one of my, my professors is like, you're good at writing. Like you're, that's really what you should do. And I was like, okay, so write speeches. But then I thought to myself, do I really want to write speeches for other people? That's kind of weird. I'm a little bit, I mean, maybe I'm a little bit too much of a control freak for that. <laughs> so I was like, how just write for myself. And I don't know, I somehow I ended up in journalism, uh, classes broadcast journalism because you know you're speaking more you're speaking in, in broadcast journalism you know if you're just in print you're just writing you were a print you were, were you print uh, i was print i was print, print baby yeah. which is different i mean it, i took some print classes you know some feature writing classes and for those of you out there i mean you should probably learn both but there's definitely a different stylistically from ap to what you're writing with print because um you know print you could be a little more flowery you can be a little it's it's more about the writing uh whereas ap you know you're you're on television you got to keep it simple stupid and, and that's basically you know when i was going through school they were like you know the web is is like television people don't have a very good attention span they're doing other things and you need to be very concise uh unlike i am on this podcast um with uh with what you're writing with uh you know whether it's anchors or whoever's you know reading your stuff so uh that's how that all came to be as far as having a background at least that fit with what I was doing. And now you're here with me full circle. Well, not really a circle, but that's where you ended up with me on this podcast. So there you go. That's how we ended up here. We have another one from Tariq in SEC country. Have we taken any interest in Logan Brown, the offensive lineman from Wisconsin that entered the portal this month? Also, are there any other linemen in the portal on offense or defense that USC has interest in? We touched on Logan Brown in the question question section last week, well, you know, Logan Brown, while he is a highly touted uh, offensive line recruit, he does come with some on the field or off the field baggage. He did strike a teammate at practice, which is why 
he is no longer at Wisconsin. And, you know, looking at that, that is something that is that could be detrimental to a locker room. You know, you'd have to do your research on it. But as far as I know, there has been no contact at this point. Now, as far as any other lineman in the portal, it's still very, very early due to, you know, the uh, there ha- there has been people that have entered, but not really a bunch of offensive linemen or defensive linemen. Logan Brown being one of them. There's Tyler Manoa from UCLA. Uh, there's Barake Beckett also from UCLA, an interior offensive lineman. Um, Braylon Ingraham from Alabama. And Gerard already mentioned about they're leaving Alabama. You probably don't. There's something going on there. You probably don't want them. But yeah, there's not really a ton of you know intriguing options outside of Logan Brown. If you look past his off the field issue there, but you know that's not really going to pick up until that portal window officially opens uh, in a couple months. That's when things will really get opening. So that's when we need to check back in with the portal. But right now it's pretty it's pretty quiet, and you know they have other kind of stuff going on with the with the team to kind of be focusing on that i don't know if you want to add anything gerard but they're interested in logan brown i can say that but i okay. don't know that well, there's there any contact but certainly uh when you have a talented offensive lineman like that that's a former five star you're giving it a look you're giving it an evaluation and that's a basically the point i think most schools are with him right now and trying to vet some of the off-field issues um that's you know you you sort of have to, I think, as a school, prioritize or at least have a little bit of a of a tier list of the reasons why somebody is transferring and how that fits with what you're looking for. And like I said, you know, injuries, I think USC's not done a good job in the past of betting injuries. Clearly they haven't. Okay, Jake Smith, um, some of these guys, you know, like didn't even play. <laughs> Top sure. Ishmael Shopter comes in and he plays like one game. I mean, that, that's that that's a little bit on the medical staff. You've got to be able to get people um, to, to, to get in front of these guys and get some evaluations medically. You do not want to be bringing in a bunch of dead weight from an injury standpoint. Um, I think that's got to be very top, you know, um, academic issues. Certainly, uh, you know, that is what it is. I think at this level where you've got a guy at a college and he's trying to transfer to another college it's very sort of black and white it's not quite the same like that when you're coming out of high school because you can make up some classes and do some things college wise it is what it is and so you kind of like to look at that and you go okay all right this guy you know from a transcript standpoint he's in the hole we can't bring him in he doesn't have these classes he needs to to be on track to be uh, qualified academically so that's one thing uh, but certainly off the field issues, you have got guys smoking weed, you got guys punching guys out in the locker room. Um, it's all context, you know, and it's all OK. How much from a behavior standpoint can this person grow up? You know, do they need to have better um, development around them? Do they ha- do they need to have better people around them, uh, whether from a staff standpoint or just the locker room itself? You know, I mean, you can bring in a young player and if you've got good veteran leadership, then you then you might be a little uh, more uh, open to the idea of someone who had issues somewhere else because you know everybody gets a second chance and and people make mistakes and certainly if you're part of a program that doesn't have great leadership and you've got coaches that are coming and going um, you know from that standpoint you have to look at that and consider that so uh, I would say that that's probably a little more of a gray area I think the injury thing is where you got to get away from it and and 
and just going after guys again that are just names because they're from power five schools and it's like hey that's a position to need and you really want again to have that player be that guy that he was out of high school or, or what have you um but you know like i said before like with alabama alabama knows what they're doing man there ain't <laughs> there ain't too many good players leaving alabama and going on other places and and, and making uh uh, big plays and, and being big time. Um, I think Shane Lee is, again, to my knowledge, like one of the top guys uh, thus far that has actually left Alabama. Alabama's doing a really good job through this whole process. As stacked as they are, uh, and this is where NIL becomes a big deal uh, from a, a team standpoint, is retention. You know, they're retaining a lot of these players. They're, these guys are third string you know, four-star running backs and, and five-star offensive linemen, and they're just sitting back waiting their turn. And that's that's a great salesman job by, by Nick Saban and his staff to keep these guys involved and keep these guys engaged. Uh, and at the same point, I think this is where NIL – I mean, these guys are going to get paid to sit on the bench and, and, and not do a whole lot. They'll be more content than if they weren't, you know, and they felt like that eligibility clock is ticking and they got to go somewhere quickly to be able to make that 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 splash so they can get on the radar with the NFL teams. You know, they're, they're not feeling like that Alabama. They're retaining a lot of their good players. We even saw that with Georgia uh, last year with that big offensive lineman uh, was Arterius Mims that was going to transfer mm-hmm. out and, and everybody was jumping over each other trying to get him in on an official visit. And he turned around and he stayed because, you know, somebody at, at Georgia stepped up and they sold him and they probably said, hey, listen, man, we, we've got a deal for you. Uh, to keep you around and keep you interested uh, instead of taking, uh, you know, that jump over to Florida State or to Miami or looking at another school where, you know, you don't know if the grass is going to be greener on the other side. Next question comes from Connor. Question for the Two Star Podcast. What kind of quarterback is Malachi Nelson? Is he a pocket quarterback more or more of a runner? And what QB does he remind you of? He's more of a pocket quarterback. Uh, uh, He does remind me of Patrick Mahomes. Um, he's not a guy that runs the ball much by design. He is athletic though. He, he does have the ability to get loose and, and yeah. we've seen that in the past more in his younger years. I don't know that he's done it as much this year, but you know, originally like sophomore year, I mean, he had some, some big runs for touchdowns. And I remember Armand Hawkins, uh, who ran uh, grand zero and he had uh, Malachi Nelson early on in his career. He said, you know, he's a, he's a really, really good athlete. And he just talked about that first and foremost and said, you know, this this dude's one of our best athletes just overall, just in terms of how fast he is and, and everything like that. So I think he's definitely scaled that back a bit. Um, but uh, he's he's but he is a pocket quarterback first. I mean, he is a, a pro passer first. He's a passer first. Uh, how he makes decisions. Um, he's always looking downfield to make the play, uh, but he can't extend the play, you know, compared to Caleb Williams. Yeah, he's definitely more of a passer first. I think Caleb Williams is actually he's trying to be more of a passer first. And I think to some extent it's it's hurt his game a little bit. He's held on the ball too much. We talked about that a little bit last week in terms of self-evaluation. And I think there needs to be more decisiveness with NFL or excuse me, with USC runners. I think just the ball carriers in general, even when talking about Travis Dye, there's a little bit of that um, you know, business decision that's going on in their heads, and guys are trying to laterally move them themselves to the sideline as they're running it's like dude get north and south and just get down like you get down you're down that's fine you know you can slide you can dive you can do whatever you need to do to get down on the ground but they're trying to make all these extra moves to get to the sideline and sometimes uh you end up in a more precarious position than if you would have just squared your shoulders and gotten north and south 
Nelson, definitely a pocket passer, but he put some of those moves, uh, mobility moves on display on, on Friday when I went out to see him in front of Lincoln Riley. There were a couple times where he had some really nice footwork in the, in the pocket, moving out, stepping up from the pressure, moving to the side. He had a couple of decent runs, you know, not a very natural slider, which tells you he is not that much of a, of a dual threat kind of guy, but you know, he, he, he pulled out a run when he had to, and he made some plays with his legs. So definitely put that on on display for uh, Lincoln Riley and and some of the uh, the USC fans that were out there at that game. Uh, next I question. I wouldn't call him uh, just to just to end that. I wouldn't call him like a pure pocket passer in yeah. how you would say like a JT Daniels or what have you. So you know, with him and uh, you know, we talked about earlier in the show Lincoln Riley showing. Um, more interest in, in maybe going with quarterbacks that don't at least historically fit his system or, or they're not quarterbacks that stylistically have been quarterbacks that he was successful with at Oklahoma. I don't know if Malachi doesn't really like, you're not going away from that to an extreme. Um, it's, it's sort of a little more on the line. I think with that, like in terms of, you know, what he can do, I think he can still run the ball think he's gonna still need to run the ball escape you know I, I think 100 percent. you know running the ball by design with your quarterback is 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 crucial if you're going to play out of the shotgun you know more than 70 percent of your snaps if you're going to go under center and you're going to do some play action and what have you and you're going to have like a full pro style offense okay that's a different story but if you're going to show that ball and you're going to play RPO, you've got to have an option. You've got to have the ability for the quarterback to gouge that defense if they want to hone in on that running back and just collapse on them. Because we saw what the alternative was, and it was USC's offense even before Bram Harrell. It was a lot of non-athletic quarterbacks that are are holding that ball, and they're giving that that mesh read look. But there's no read there. They're going to hand that ball off. The defense knows it, and they collapse on the backside with the defensive end, and they've got no run game because of it. So right now, USC's got a nice run game going, and part of that is because Caleb Williams can hold that ball, and he's going to get eight yards at least from that. And that's absolutely crucial when you're talking about you know third and four, third and five, and you're from that look, and you keep the defense honest on the edges. Next question comes from Jesus. Question for the two star pod out of for the two star pod out of the committed recruits. You can also include big targets as well if you want. Which ones are expected to be early enrollees? Only one I've heard of is Tackett Rambo Curtis. Well, I can tell you that Malachi Nelson and Makai Lemon will definitely be early enrollees. I believe Zachariah Branch is going to be an early enrollee. I'm uh, not sure about the offensive line class at this point. Amos Talele will not be an early enrollee. I can tell you that. I thought Micah was going to be an early enrollee. I do not know the status of Elijah Page and his enrolli- early enrollment. but Elijah I'm, Page is expected to be an early enrollee. Christian Pierce will be an early enrollee. Okay, okay. Uh, Grant Bucky is expected to be an early enrollee. We're rolling uh, now. We're rolling now. I'm not sure about Tobias Raymond. Uh, Dejan Lafitte, I believe is he, he wants to be an early enrollee. I think he still has like a class or two. And so he's, he's, he's trying to do that, but that's what he said he wanted to do. So, you know, we'll, we'll see there's, you know, some of the guys that are already 
like they're on track for sure. And they just got to finish the regular classes. And there's some other guys that, um, you know, they're, they're, they're more important classes that they have to take to be able to do that. Um, and I think Quentin Joyner is an early enrollee, yeah. if, I, if I recall. I also recall that as well. We'll get, when we get closer, we'll have an official list hashed out and stuff. Next question comes from Jose. What's going on with Jason Rodriguez? You guys think he'll ever live up to his four-star status he had coming out of high school, or do you think he's just going to stay lost in the shuffle? Interesting question. Jason Rodriguez has that distinction of being the last consensus four-star recruit that USC signed, offensive lineman that USC signed, and that was in 2019. And we were both fans of Jason Rodriguez, you know, coming out of high school. We both saw him at that Under Armour camp where he kind of caught our attention. And, you know, big kid, six foot six, you know, 290, moved pretty well, projected as sort of a right tackle prospect. They kicked him inside and he just never was able to catch on anywhere. And he had some injury issues uh, at some point this season, but just seemed like he kind of lost his confidence. Uh, you know, at one point he was down with like the third, the third string reserves. And it seemed like they were trying to get that confidence back up. You know, he's working with Toa Lobendon and they were just trying to get it going. And it seems like he's a lot more confident than that I've seen since he's been at USC. And, you know, he's a strong kid. He's working at guard. I don't know if he'll, you know, live up to that four star status. But, you know, Coach uh, Henson has a really good track record with development. And, you know, Jason Rodriguez has a lot of attributes that you like. And, you know, if he sticks around, you know, he could maybe look at the portal. Maybe he could be, you know, one of those guys that gets, you know, pushed out at the end. But he is at least a guy who, you know, had had talent out of high school and there's some stuff to work with. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he sticks around and, you know, they try to develop him into, you know, a quality backup at some point or maybe try to get him some reps. I, I don't know if he'll live up to that status, but I think there's some stuff you can definitely work with and develop for you know, maybe the end of his USC career, which is coming up. Yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, he's technically only a sophomore right. in terms of eligibility. So right. even it he's seems like time. he's been there for that long. But when you start to consider COVID and, and the red shirts and everything, he's actually only got uh, a sophomore uh, eligibility right now next to his name. So that I think, yeah, he does have time at USC if, he wants that time. And I think as opposed to some of the other players that USC took that were just bodies, that they were just grabbing guys because they were losing out on their first and second um, plans or plan A's and their plan B's on the offensive line in the fa- in the past few cycles. I think with Jason Rodriguez was a guy that was like, OK, that's one of the first guys we want. That's one of our plan A's. And so, yeah, I think you do have the physicality and the body and the talent there to make something of that. And so. Yeah, potentially he, he still has that in front of him. Um, it's just a matter of staying healthy and it's a matter of, you know, I think buying in and having some stability from uh, an offensive line standpoint. Cause we also have to remember you've had so many offensive line coaches mm-hmm. come and go through USC, whether it was Neil Calloway, um, then you had Tim Drevno, um, you had uh, Clay McGuire, you had uh, three different you know coaches basically in three different years. And I, I'm not 100% sure, but I feel like Jason might even stretch back to Bob Connolly years. I'm not 100% sure. That was Sark. And I think that was maybe – no, that was – that, that No, that's too far back. Too yeah, it's too far back. So, only, so, so three offensive line coaches and, um, you know, various different systems. 
And so, you know, perhaps, you know, he has a couple of years ahead of him here where, you know, he's got, uh, you know, a, a, some stability from a scheme and from a coaching standpoint. And, you know, it's always easier to, to be patient and learn when you're winning, you know, and you have guys go, that are going in front of you and they're being developed and they're actually going to the NFL as opposed to just lingering on an eight and four team or a seven and five team. So uh, we'll see what happens. But I think that, you know, one thing that makes him a bit different than some of the other guys that you could name off is the fact that, you know, he's a plan A type guy. He's a guy that, um, you know, coming out of high school, a lot of people thought uh, a lot of him from a talent standpoint and just, again, from the physical attribute standpoint that he could be effective. And so I think he's got that still going for him. Our last question comes from actually a uscfootball.com legend, Joan Levis, who was actually the catalyst for us getting our first and only composite two-star recruit podcast, Meredith, Meredith Schlosser. So shout out to Joan ending us here what with a question. What are people that, that Chris, that Chris uh, always takes to? Uh, Joan and Jason Negro. Yeah, the two the two legends in my eyes. Uh, here she is wrapping us out of listener questions. Hey, Chris and Gerard, now that USC is winning and performing better than expected in Lincoln Riley's first year, which top targets on USC's board that are committed to other schools that aren't winning or doing well do you see flipping? Any news there? Thank you. Now, we've kind of hit on this, you know, in and out of shows and stuff, but, you know, the big ones are, you know, we keep bringing up, you know, Lucas Simmons as a guy who to keep an eye on with, with Florida State, you know, they're four and three right now, which is, you know, a decent, you know, they, they can go to a bowl game. So just something to watch there. But we talked about early in the show, Francis Maugoa and Miami as being one to really keep an eye on as Miami continues to, you know, move closer and closer to, to dumpster fire territory. And, you know, Peyton Bowen is someone that you've mentioned on the this sh- this show, the Notre Dame safety commit. Who is who was who is committed to Notre Dame as, as being a guy to 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 keep an eye on as as, as the Irish struggle as well. Uh, Keon Keeley is a name that's come up. He already backed off his commitment, though that's not someone who's committed right now. But those that's someone who's back on the market. So a couple names to keep an eye on. But as we mentioned, you know, it, you don't really want to put it out there too much. Make it look like you're you're stirring up stuff, but you know those are some names that have been mentioned on the show uh, prior. Yeah, <laughs> I think you covered it. I don't yeah, know. I, I think I I think I hit on everything there. I mean, I don't know if you mentioned Dalen Austin. I can't remember if you. Ah, yes, I did not. I did not. You're right. That that is so, another one. Potentially, maybe another guy. Um, although you know, it seems like uh, USC feels pretty good. I think they're pretty good at that defensive back position. We talked about that quite a bit in the last podcast. When you really take a step back and you look at the depth chart and it's like, do you really need to push for, you know, too many guys here? Because you've got a really young depth chart at defensive back and all those guys are talented players. I mean, again, it's one of those things when you start to go without getting a lot of four-star type players, then you start to really question, okay, do they have the actual talent? You know, and that's a question that we've had, uh, with offensive linemen and certainly the question we've had with the defensive line, but not so much the defensive back. So I don't know how hard they really need to go and, and push for a Jalen Austin or, or someone that is committed to another school. Um, certainly it's, it's going to be about the offensive line and whether they're able to get uh, the potential 
to have you know, Lucas Simmons or Francis Maugoa back on campus, along with Caleb Lamu, who's going to take uh, his official visit here in the next few weeks. So, you know, the offensive line is going to be one to look at. And certainly the defensive line, you know, you didn't mention uh, Deshaun Womack. We talked about him earlier, committed to LSU, uh, potentially comes along uh, on an official visit with Sam Green here uh, in, in, a, in a couple weeks. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I mean, maybe, you know, if it happens, it happens even later. There's a lot of that kind of stuff that goes on. And I think while we mentioned all those names, and those are those are certainly the names on the radar, mainly because they've been USC targets and the guys that you've already had on campus, you know they've been serious enough about USC that, okay, you know, if that recruitment opens up again, that those phone calls are going to be made and those phone calls are going to be picked up. Uh, there's those guys that, you know, that haven't been on campus and, and it's been quiet. Peyton Bowen, I think, is a, a good example of that. Um, just a just sort of a name that's sort of floated out there. And a lot of people are like, okay, he's looking at Texas A&M. He's looking at Oklahoma. Neither of those programs have had particularly good years. And USC did offer him early and had a, a little bit of a relationship with him very early on. And he was talking about taking an official visit to USC. Um, that subsequently, you know, completely went away. Uh, over the course of the year, and then he committed to Notre Dame. And so there are other guys even that USC, you know, could be in contact with, guys that reach out uh, out of the blue. When you when you start to really win games, and I don't know if USC is there yet. You know, I don't know if they're, they're at that point where they got those calls. But, you know, back in the Pete Carroll years, you would just sometimes get calls from top players, and they might be committed elsewhere, and they just pop up on your campus because – you know, it's USC and, and they see an opening and an opportunity to be a part of something, you know, really big and really special. And they're guys that you just, they're out, like I said, out of left field. You know, they're not guys that um, sometimes they don't even have scholarship offers. And you're like, wow, this guy's interested. And did you offer him yet? <laughs> you know, the question is, did USC actually offer this dude a scholarship yet? Like he's popping up on campus. So it all happens really quickly. So um, that's, that's sort of what happens when USC rolls and gets rolling. It's going to be interesting because they're not playing any more ranked opponents until you get into playing uh, probably UCLA. You know, I think that's the last team that is more than likely going to be ranked. It doesn't look like Notre Dame is going to be ranked for that game, even though that's still going to be a huge game for them. It's just a traditional rival. It'll have a great atmosphere. It, that's just how it is. Um, no, it's not going to be, you know, a Notre Dame team that's going to grab a lot of national attention in terms of headlines. It's not going to be that kind of matchup. Um, USC should be favored by a pretty good amount, seeing that Notre Dame really can't score points. Uh, but the UCLA game will probably be the biggest, but obviously UCLA game is a technically away game, so you can't have a bunch of official visitors for that. And that wraps up listener questions, Gerard. We've wrapped up another hefty episode of Composite Two-Star Recruits. I don't think that we hit three hours, so I'm going to have to add it up all the time. But so I think we're under the three hour mark. So we're giving another data point to the theory that our times influence USC's margin of victory or victory in general. So I'm excited to see what the results are on the field for USC this Saturday when they head up to Tucson to play the Wildcats. Uh, Lincoln Riley versus Johnny Nansen. Gerard, are you excited? Lincoln Riley versus Johnny and Nansen. I mean, that's an exciting Wildcat team, you know, they're a little like Washington State, in my view. When I watched them earlier in the year, they got a quarterback. They put a lot of pressure on him. You know, he's got to make a lot of plays. He runs around with his legs. He makes a lot of plays outside the pocket. I think USC has basically got to play that. They played Washington State. You know, they got to force him uh, to be consistent and to make those plays downfield. 
try to keep them in the pocket as much as possible. And I think they'll have similar amount of success. Arizona state is a little more talented um, at the receiver position. You know, they've got guys like Tatoria McMillan who USC recruited who can, who can make big time plays in the 50 50 ball. Uh, but in general, kind of a, a similar team in terms of how they play. Very momentum-based team. They'll play better than Washington State did probably because they're playing at home. But I don't know that that home atmosphere is going to necessarily be, like, intimidating or anything for USC. Uh, it's, um, you know, not necessarily a banner year for Arizona. Well, I'll be there. I'll be on the ground on the field so you can follow me there. But until next time, uh, I'm Chris. That's Gerard. And we will catch you next time on Composite Two-Star Recruits. Next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.